Interesting. I don't know. Do you want to do a show, John? That's usually, yes. Oh, oh, this is exciting. He could, oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, let's do a show. Okay. Sorry, I got so confused. I got scared. What happened? I just, I found out that the guest we have today has listened to every episode. And is, I find that hard to believe. Is this, well, not as hard to believe as you're bringing the Ringer Tee back. Yeah, We're going to talk about this. The Ringer T-shirt. Yeah. Well, explain, is explain back, what a Ringer Tee is. Because I will. I never... I never heard that term. That, to me, it was, really, yeah, it was just, it was just a T-shirt that happened to have whatever this like. I mean, it make when you say it, it makes sense because there's a ring around the the top collar. There's a ring around both sleeves yeah. at the end. That's it. That's, so that's what makes it a. Get it? Yeah. yeah. But I'd never, I've never heard that term or used. Oh, it really? Well, is that our age difference? No. When I went. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. And I'm the young, virile, virile, virile John Huck. Okay, first off, I don't know where age has to do with this, but what I, I used to work, I used to manage bands. Oh, right. And, I, and I we forgot. had merchandise, so you sell. Yeah. That had nothing to do with me working on radio. <laughs> Boom! It was going there. But yeah. Um, no, so you sell the merchandise, and, and uh, the bands that I worked with were uh, mid '90s, and, and the Ringer T was kind of was making look. its it was it was making its comeback from the '70s, which was like if you look at anybody's kid pictures from the you know late '60s to through the '70s, early, I'd say early '80s too, like the early very, '80s. Very yeah, there was it had a good run, quite frankly, it had a good run because, and this uh, I don't know. Um, We'll find out if our guest had this where he was growing up. But if you also remember, there used to be a place called T-Shirts Plus. Oh yeah, yeah, and that yeah. was like a that that's everybody. That's where you plane, got those, and, and you would get it, and you put the put stuff on. on there. Sure, and that's kind of where I think a lot of that popularity came from was from that store because they gave you two options, right? You either got a regular white T-shirt or you got a Ringer T-shirt. Yeah, but this was um, I would like to just point out this was a free gift from a company called Death Wish Coffee, and oh, it's it, real. It's I thought it was related to your uh, your show. Exactly. So they, a friend of mine from college, Glenn Brown, uh, I ran it. He came to shows I had in Minneapolis, or no, I'm sorry, uh, Rochester, Minnesota. And he was like, oh, hey, have you tried? Uh, he, he's watched every episode of my Death Co. And he mm-hmm. was like, hey, have you tried this Death Wish coffee? And I was like, dude, I don't even know what it is. Like, I don't know. I buy generic coffee, whatever. And he's like, oh, I'll, 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 I'll connect you guys. And I, in my head, I'm like, sure, sure, yeah, okay. And then he, these, this company hit me up, and they're like, we've watched every episode that's out. We love the show. Would you be interested in some free coffee? And of course, right? So they send me a couple bags of coffee, a sticker, uh, a couple other things. They send me like four bags of coffee, actually. And it is ground jet fuel, like in a good way. But like this... Little, I'm a travel mug guy thing. Yeah, we know about um, your travel mug. That'll that'll amp me up, like way more than regular coffee. Okay, so I'm assuming you brought some. Uh, no, 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 no. Oh. I, I'm not going to share. It's for me. Cool. It's like cocaine. I think it's the best <laughs> thing to do is to brag about something and then be like, I and I would never give anything no. to any of you people. No, but by the way, there's a theme going on here so far. They've apparently our guest has listened to every episode, which we don't believe. No. And I also don't believe that that guy watched every. Well, actually, that's that They're would be five more realistic. Long. There's, and there's four only four of them. Okay. So then, like, I'm going to give it to him. There's not 154 episodes, <laughs> and they're not three hours long. So, yeah, I think that the guy had the time to just sit and watch it on the toilet one morning or whatever. Okay, well, that was a lot more description than was necessary for viewing. But If you can find this stuff, Death Wish Coffee, it is tremendous, and the company is really great, and we're going to try to work out some sponsorship stuff, but we'll see. Where are they based out of? I think Minneapolis. I think that that area. 
And it is good, huh? It's a good I love brew. It. I love it. Now, but I'm, you know, I'm not super. I don't. I don't think I have a refined palate. Like since age 15, I was drinking like Bush and Budweiser. You know, I wasn't fill I was, it to the rim with brim. Yeah, right, dude. Sanka, Folgers, like. They still, make, House. they still make Maxwell House. I'm oh, yeah. sure. Yep, they definitely I've, do. I've been on a, a couple, um, back in the day, a couple, like, you can always tell when it's super low budget, because they'll bring out the tin the of Maxwell tin. House, and you're it's like, oh. It's a plastic jug now. It's like a it's like, um, Gatorade bottle. But I got to be honest with you, it's at that moment I look and I see that, I'm like, oh, no one's going to be happy on set today, because like that, is, that does not set your day off in a good direction. If you can make the coffee without showing the label, it's okay, but you're right. If you put a big jug out, and then next to that is just a bowl <laughs> of raisins, you're like, dude, this fucking sucks. <laughs> But I know I'm, I'm not one to usually complain. I've seen some bad craft service, you know. Yeah. And when we do in, indie stuff, and people are like, "Hey, can you stop it?" Like you're an actor in something. Like, can you get the donuts? And you're like, "Yeah, whatever." That's I get that. But then sometimes you go somewhere and you're like, "Really? You couldn't have sprung for, I don't know, beef jerky or waters, something like." It's really bizarre. Yeah, water would be a, a major well, I think problem. You have, legally, I think you now have to have water everywhere. And just in, <laughs> you know, just in case you love Maxwell, I mean, here's where Maxwell House is okay. If you're in the middle, like of the woods, like camping, Dude. then any coffee will suffice. I, any coffee, because you oh, just you, you've you've downgraded your palate. No, I'm saying, yeah, you, you downgrade your palate. But like Maxwell House is definitely the the world of coffee, like craft beer, has changed quite a bit as sure. far as taste goes. Sure, Maxwell House has not changed. No. But but neither has like you know. Do they uh, even make Sanka anymore? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, because Sebastian Maniscalco mentioned it in a special, and I, me and my brother were crying because Sanka. We saw commercials for Sanka. It was like it was a brand of it was a, allegedly a decent brand of coffee. What was that powdered orange drink? Um, Tang. Tang. Do they still make that? I think so, but. I don't know. I follow Buzz Aldrin on Twitter. Well, okay, so that would and, totally. And he, that, he, he put up a cap. She put up a picture, and he goes, "Best caption wins." And then the caption was a picture of him looking over documents about the moon landing. Did he have Tang and, with him? The, the caption was, "What? What are we doing now? I got into this for the Tang." <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he reposted that. That is very funny. That's funny. Uh, I like Buzz Aldrin. He's like a seventy-five-year-old badass. <laughs> Did you see that video of him punching the? Uh, Guy in his face, like, huh, explain the moon landing was fake. Tell us the moon landing was fake. Why won't you admit the moon landing was fake? Oh, that's why he punched and him. He kept going and he kept going. And Buzz Aldrin was ignoring him. And his wife, who's like probably 40 years younger than him and like good looking, was like trying to kind of hold him back. And he was like, What is the deal? And then the guy came up next to him and said something kind of in, inaudible. And then Buzz Aldrin just jacked the guy and the guy went down. Was he wearing like, um, like a flight jacket? He's, I, I gotta be honest with you, like, even if a guy's like 80. And he's wearing a flight jacket. You know, don't he's oh, still with okay with being brave with fighting. With him. I don't. I wouldn't fuck with any old man that's been in the military. That's my. But specifically, a flight jacket. Also, like that means they had. They people. still got a little bit of, of pizzazz. Yeah. A guy that's wearing like your classic old man jacket. No, he wears that's like, loaded with tissues. You know, <laughs> he wears t-shirts to blow your nose with suspenders and a flight jacket. Yeah, yeah, he's a he's a he's like yeah. what a crazy he's still, guy. Like, yeah, he's still doing Jack Palance push-ups. Yes. Dude, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. pulling tugboats with the fucking. He's <laughs> getting in. I couldn't think of Jack, not Jack Palance, but uh, Jack Lalane. Remember him? Oh my God, yes. So I couldn't think of that guy's name on stage when I was in DC uh, like a year ago, and I was like, you know, the guy. I kept saying Richard Simmons, and then I was like, oh, I, I well, met, okay, that's I go, couldn't I be further guy, from Jack Lalane. I know, and then I go, I met the guy who pulls the boats with his mouth with the rope, and then someone goes. 
Richard Simmons? I go, yeah, sure. Richard Simmons does yeah, that too. Yeah. Fuck it. But yeah, Jack LaLanne. He did, is that what he did? No, I thought he just worked out in a jumpsuit. Oh, Richard Simmons? No. Uh, Jack LaLanne? No, LaLanne. He, no, he did. He was like a dude. He like pulled things and like he swam with, he p- pulled a boat with his mouth. Like, oh, okay. He, he did all kinds of wacky dude shit. All right. Well, fair He's enough. like the evil Knievel of working out. Is he? No. Really? Evil Knievel used to drive uh, motorcycles. It turns out a uh, hundred feet from my house. That's awesome, by the oh. way. Right in this valley back yep. here. Own the property behind me. One of the greatest things I've been that's been told to me since I moved here. Oh my god, it's got to be the best. And I'm well, sure it out it outdoes my don't story care. about finding a dead body at this point. Now I just moved Ooh, out well, from that story to it's a better Evil Knievel. It's just a little more fun to hear evil about Evil Knievel. Knievel than it is to hear about a corpse. You know, <laughs> but. Now that Evil Knievel is a corpse, I guess it's the same thing. I don't know. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Speaking of death, kill coffee. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, should we bring in our guest? Yep, let's do it. Um, I know we've been away for a little while. We have? Okay. Um, Brian, you've been producing, you've been working. Directing? Mm-hmm. Pro- directing too? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. I thought you were only producing the uh, that short. Yeah, I ended up, but well, the uh, the director unfortunately had to drop out last minute, so I, I, was, I stepped in. Hey. I'll take it, right? Take the gig wherever you can get it. Exactly. Okay. Even if it means you're the fourth or fifth choice. <laughs> I, w- I went from one out and then back in again. Oh. I was always there. Okay. Well, good for you, man. That's great. And you produced it, right? Mm-hmm. So, all right. And what's that? What's, oh, we'll, we'll talk about it in a second. Uh, our guest today, uh, hilarious comedian, um, actor. Uh, I mean, we did a thing in Neil Brennan's... <laughs> thing where we held hands. That that's right. That's that's the thing I've acted in. That's right. That so was I did that, acting. and I did Henry Phillips' first film, oh. Punching the Clown. Punching which, the Clown. Which, by the way, <laughs> I was so enamored with that when I got to be in the second one, I could not be more excited. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Stout, everybody. Hi. Ryan Stout. Hi. Thank I'm, you for doing this. It's very hard to sit here and listen. Oh, while while you guys do the opening because it's like you want to jump in. I have to hold back every impulse so, I have. Let's well, recap. first of all, being, being the no? heir of the Maxwell Coffee uh, House, oh, I, I think you guys are real fucking dicks. This no. is and uh, <laughs> uh, and then so actually, it's Ryan it, Stout Maxwell House. Never a, never saw a T-shirt Plus in my life. Never. Now, do you, have I was you ever born, heard of it? I, I was born in the early eighties. I don't so know when it stopped. I don't, I don't know when it stopped. Where are you but, from? Originally, I, I I was born in Cleveland. I grew up in El Paso, Texas. They would have, in theory, have been it potentially. I don't know about El Paso. I, I have nothing about El Paso. There's, but there's definitely no Cleveland. economy there, so oh, there aren't okay. a lot of stores. There's, there's stores. no five star hotel in okay. El Paso. Yeah, there aren't. There's one university. El Paso is the population of Boston. The whole wow. El Paso is the population of Boston. Wow. We have one university, no five star hotels. So that just kind of tells you. And then across the river is Juarez, where there's a million people, and yet there's just no money. There's no money there. But it, when you say more like more space too, right? I mean, El Paso is bigger than Boston. Um, yeah, we don't we don't I break like, into suburbs. Yeah, at it's, all. It's just a wide. It's all open, just El Paso. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And Boston uh, is a little bit. Cleveland to El Paso, which we'll yeah. get to in a sec. But yeah, yeah so TJ, but you know what ringer tees are? Did you not know that either? That term. I I just put it together when you said it that the ring around the collar and the the sleeves. Great commercial. Ring yeah, yeah. The, what was that commercial? That was John? for whisk. Ring around the collar. Ring around the collar. Oh, was you got wing around, ring around the collar. Wing around the uh, I would have guessed Tide. I don't know. No, it was Whisk. 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 Uh, that, that rates right out there with Ancient Chinese Secret. What was that one? Oh, my God. Remember that? I thought, which a commercial you could never get away oh, with. Oh, no. Now, it's just a racist, like, oh, Ancient Chinese Secret. <laughs> yep. It's just like, ooh, yep. that's kind of off. Like, that's weird. There's a lot of stuff like that when you look back, like, 
there's stuff with Native Americans and like there's just a lot of right. Woody, Woody Woodpecker as a whole is probably not shown very often anymore because there was a lot of that. Was there? I honestly, I, do, I didn't. I didn't like Woody Woodpecker. I thought, I, I think we've talked about this before. I yeah. was never a big Looney Tunes guy, and I was never really a Three Stooges guy. I only have hazy memories of it, but I remember on Bugs Bunny there was this one character that I believe was called Sambo. Ooh, and, way uh, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, you are correct. And, uh, you know, it would pop up on, on TV still. Like, we're talking as as late as, like, the early 2000s. Ooh. And you'd be like, oh, they didn't catch that one. <laughs> Maybe nobody... <laughs> that, one, that one slipped through. A lot of times people hear a term and they don't know it's racist and they repeat it because they're not, like... I had a professor in college who was from France. She was born in France. She had dual citizenship. She was a professor in Wisconsin. <laughs> And she, there were these, there are these nuts that, uh, I think they're not macadamians, but they, they had a very, there was a very racial yeah. slurish. It was the N-word toe. and then toes. Yes. Yeah. So that's what they called the nut. Like, that's what. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They would call them that. And now it's horrifically racist. But when you're from another, cause she's from France, she comes over and she's in northern Wisconsin where there are a lot of ridiculously racist people. Still, yeah. by so, the way. She, still. Oh, absolutely. Unfortunately, Unfortunately absolutely. still. Absolutely. You could take the town of Ashland and divide it in half, and I'm sure half of the people there have, uh, there's a little racism in there going on, you know? But uh, but she said it in class, talking about yeah. the nuts, and this is 96, 97, and everyone was like, oh, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Everyone was kind of looking right. at each other, and I raised my hand, and I go, what's that now? And she said it again. What's and I that now? And you, I go, you just instigated it happening oh, well, again. I needed yeah. to hear it again to make sure uh-huh, I didn't mishear yeah. it. And I go, oh. And I knew, because she doesn't, didn't mean any maliciousness by it. She wasn't being, right. she was in passing mentioned it. Like It uh-huh. wasn't like, black people have these kind of toes. She wasn't like, so I no. just... Briefly explained to her, she goes, oh, but that's how everyone says it. I go, that's how everyone you know says it. Right. The people you know are using a... And she was like, okay, thank you. I was very happy that I explained it sure. to you. Sure. And, and you, here you have an educated person yeah. who's teaching at a university yep. who's just like... Well, the university. Oh, I was, I was shoved into a culture that yeah. was a different language. And the subset of my culture was giving me words that... Oh, those aren't the right words. Oh, I see what's going on here. Yeah, I'm like terribly if, embarrassed. Yeah. But I also had no... No way of avoiding this. Like, if you went to Spain and didn't speak any of their language, and you had to become a teacher, and you were using things that you'd heard other Spanish people say. Colloquialisms. Yeah, yeah. about white people, and they're like, whoa, 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 guy, you can't do that. You're like, oh, okay, sorry, I didn't know. Well, isn't that New Zealand, the the, the C word is a a term of affection over there or something like that? John. It's like that in England, too. John. Cunt isn't racial at all. John, you did it again. Old twat toes. Old twat, I eat the twat toad nuts. Um... Yeah, no, the C word is is English, man. It just means it could be it could mean it's it's kind of like when you greet somebody like ah, you son of a bitch, get over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. You're either happy or you're like, look at this son of a bitch. It can be used either way. Yeah, mm. but but yeah. Strangely enough, the idea of her being in front of a classroom is exactly what I was imagining, Brian, when you were talking about your story with Evil Knievel versus the dead body. <laughs> I imagine you speaking at like your children's school, like. You, <laughs> Well, Richard, I had two choices. <laughs> I had two choices of stories I could tell. Let me tell you, Evil Knievel goes over better. Yeah. I, got <laughs> a, I got a story out. about a motorcycle lunatic or a corpse. Who's with me? I miss motorcycle lunatics. I guess 
jackass kind of replaced that. They did, but they didn't. You know what replaced it a little bit? I like the big spectacle of what Evil Knievel did. It was always a spectacle. And then Red a spectacle Bull, of failure, by the way. We have to be very clear. Not That's always. Why you tuned in to he see him fail. He made it over the Caesar's Palace fountain. Yeah, but that wasn't as exciting. <laughs> and he broke every bone in his yes. body when he landed. <laughs> but like, but there's the Red Bull did a thing where they... Uh, on New Year's Eve, for a couple years in a row, they had the, they would lead up to this big stunt. Like one guy, like did something, jumped something in Vegas, like, and it was all they were successful. One was on a motorcycle, one was in a car. I remember the third one. I remember waiting before I went out on New Year's to watch these because I was like, this is kind of like old school Evil Knievel. Yeah, shit. and I was like, man, that looks insane. So if you're gonna get away with it, good for you. Yeah. Excuse me. I don't know. I, to me, the you. evil Knievel thing, what really made it special was the fact that <laughs> you knew there was a greater chance he wasn't going to succeed. Yeah. But it wasn't just that. It was watching his body get mangled and then somebody shoving a microphone into his hand <laughs> so he could make a speech before the ambulance took him away before he died. Wow. That was the part I love. The fact he's like, no, no, no. I'm going to make a speech first and then mm-hmm. you can take let me, me say, away. Let, let me speak through this. <laughs> Yeah. Do you guys like Brian Regan? <laughs> of course. Brian yeah. Regan has a great joke about watching Evil Knievel, just like you said. He goes, my favorite part was when they tried to interview him afterwards. What were you thinking when your body was <laughs> flying through the air and you were coming at the concrete at 800 miles an hour? I was thinking, did I leave the lights on at home? Like, I was thinking, ah! ah! <laughs> Should I get a puppy? <laughs> yeah. Should I get a puppy? Dude, I mean, it's like, what do you want? He was probably thinking, oh, this is gonna fucking suck. Yeah. I do have to say, like, even though he was doing it as, like, a, a stunt person, that is one of my very favorite forms of comedy is that very violent misdirection where somebody revs up the motorcycle and they're headed right for the ramp and they miss the ramp just barely and go right into a brick wall. Like, I love that. Super Dave. Dave. Exactly. Yeah, just the slight slight miss and everything goes wrong. And uh, I I laugh to tears just imagining it. Yeah. So are you saying, like, but a real attempt that goes wrong? Um, Or it doesn't matter? it, It doesn't matter. Jackass did it for me. You know, especially when they would try to do certain things and things would go wrong and they just end up real hurt. Yeah. Like, and it's so they made it okay to laugh at that shit, though. Well, too. You yeah, don't that have was to their, feel bad about it. That was their it. intent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. They because they would even tell them. you, they'd be like, they weren't trying to get away with anything. They were telling you flat out, like, oh, this is going to hurt. <laughs> this is one of the worst ones. <laughs> yeah, they would ones. explain it and you'd think, that is going to fucking suck. And then they go, this is going to really suck. And then they would do it anyway. Like, <laughs> The bath with the, with the porta potty with the flinging it up in the air. I was like, you got to be some kind of fucking psycho to get in there with a bunch of feces. Yeah, but you also have to be a real asshole to say, yeah, I'm not going to watch this. <laughs> like, if you are that, you're a psycho. If you do it, you're a dick. If you don't watch, because <laughs> um, I mean, I'm pretty intellectually snooty and elitist. But uh, when it comes to that, well, I think I'm gonna go. You're all in. Hey, let's let's all sit down and be quiet for this real quick. Let's give these artists their due. <laughs> But we all have a little of that lowbrow love of the fucking yeah. goofy shit. Yeah. Like farts my, are still funny. My parents are in Mensa, and my mom, I've never seen her laugh harder than fucking Jackass. Wow. And then she went to the theater to watch Jackass, too. She, was, wow. she wasn't going to wait. That's interesting. <laughs> and I bet your mom swears. Uh, she does now. I, it was not allowed in my house oh. um, uh, until I was probably about 14, 15 years old. Oh, well, okay. And what made it okay was... Uh, uh, that somehow the rules were bent if I was quoting a comedian. Oh. So if I was quoting a Carlin bit, 
I could say fuck in the appropriate place. Right. You could do the because, seven words. Because it would be it would be blasphemy to to like be cutting around it because then you're not, you know, giving the artist their due. Oh. You know, it was kind of uh but I I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and it was kind of unspoken. You know, it was just kind of like they yeah, knew I was quoting a bit. Uh, you know, why is it that most of the people who are against abortion the are people, people you wouldn't, wouldn't want to fuck in the first place? place. I fucking You love can't that. do that. <laughs> you can't cut out fuck no. and keep that joke as succinct as it is. So I would do it and my parents would laugh and they'd allow it. And then I'd be like, oh, all right. I guess that's... Hey, Danny's being a real I, fuck. Ryan! Which, no, do not. Yeah. Which leads to, um, obviously, the very young, you had a fascination with stand-up, and they knew that, which is why they allowed it. Or they got you into um, it. Well, yeah, where did, that no, come, where, did, where did that whole, like, the fact that you'd be quoting Carlin jokes to your parents come from? Well, they, they knew that I really liked stand-up from, like, a really early age. How early do you Like, I, I remember being probably about eight, nine years old watching Evening at the Improv. Oh, okay. Yeah. And it came on at nine o'clock, and my bedtime was nine o'clock. But they would notice that I'd be very quiet watching the television, not bothering anybody. And then at 10 o'clock, I'd be like, all right, I better fucking scurry to bed. Do you want so to lose that the I'm opportunity not you've been given? In trouble. You're not abusing your... And uh, yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, and then I started watching and like writing down the jokes that I liked. Hmm. And, uh, you know, I would, I would VHS record like some of the episodes. Sure. And uh, um, so they knew I had an interest in it. But then... Once I was old enough to like go to the record store, once I realized, oh, there's like a library of stuff there. Yeah, you can just buy more. You can hear the whole album. I was getting tons of stuff. And then um, I would laugh really hard and they'd be like, what are you laughing at? And then I would repeat it and they'd be like, all right. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. (laughs) That's really funny. Can I ask what records were you finding and bringing home? Because you're, I mean, you say you were born in the early 80s. That puts you like at least five, six years, seven years younger than me. Uh Um, And I, I only had access to like i got tapes so i had cosby tapes sure like eddie murphy tapes right but like well cds kind of kind of became the boom what mid mid to that was like 92 or, or about 90 yeah and, and then yeah, records took a while for records CDs were gone by about over. 97 99 right they, they decided to get rid of records right it so was... i had a good stack of tapes i had some sam kennison tapes nice. i had some cosby tapes i had a couple of uh I, I think I had the day the de- laughter died, the dice clay oh, double yeah. double tape set. Double yeah, yeah, and uh, um, a couple of Carlin things on tape, but yeah, most of it was CD, and most of it was you know I had I had pretty much all of Richard Pryor's discography, all of Carlin's, everything Chris Rock had done up to that point. Pretty much if it was on sale at you know Best Buy, you okay. got it. You know, and and by the way, El Paso, Texas didn't have like independent record shops. That's weird. They were going to have like a <laughs> thick comedy section. Right. You so. were literally only given access to kind of the hits. Yeah. And even as a kid, I was kind of aware of like, how come there aren't many women available? Like that actually that- angered me as a kid because I was like, I'm looking for diversity as much as possible. And it wasn't it wasn't in that I thought well, I, I had watched uh, Paula Poundstone's one saying, hour special, uh, Cats Cops Improv, and stuff, which I loved. They had Weaving at the Improv had like Wendy Liebman and yeah. like Lynn Copeland. Well, Ellen DeGeneres like, back then was pretty popular too, right? Or was um, she a little bit later than that? It, she well, she she had a sitcom by the early nineties. Yeah, um, that, she, um, that show. So as a stand-up, she was already very well versed. She at that point. had, but but then her show, oddly enough, like 
peaked and then was immediately canceled after she came out. Yeah. Mm. No, but she was a pretty successful stand-up yes. before that show. She ever got came that out. show off her stand-up comedy. Sure. Well, we have to remember too, and I really I get upset when people talk about how like women in comedy have never had any representation because when you think back, I was born in '82, so '92. Like I'm, I'm nine years old. I'm going to turn ten that year, um, and I start, I started stand up when I was 18. So we're going back like halfway. <laughs> so right. I started at, at 18. Yeah. I just randomly went halfway, and I was like, "What was happening in '92?" Okay, so the biggest sitcom star is a woman who we know is a stand-up comic. It's Roseanne. Two, two, I was going to say, yeah. R- what Roseanne. is the biggest movie at the box office, comedy-wise? It stars a woman who we know is a comedian, Whoopi Goldberg and Sister Act. Like, they're at the top. They're yeah. literally, like, there's only one spot at the top in both of those, and it's both women. And you turn on Comedy Central, and it's stand-up, stand-up, hosted by Laura Keitlinger, and then you go over and you watch Sandra Bernhard host the A-List, and Joan Rivers has a daytime talk show that she just won an Emmy for. Like, as a child, I'm seeing women everywhere. Wow. I'm That's watching Rita Rudner on HBO. Oh, um, at Comedy Central had acquired a bunch of HBO stuff at that day, so I'm watching Paula Poundstone's special from 1990. Now it's, like, 92, 93, and it's like women are everywhere. And then I turn 18, and there are no women out doing stand-up at the open mics. And uh, when I run into people, they're like, well, there are no women because women haven't been given any representation. And I'm like, they they were everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Brett Butler had Grace <laughs> Under Fire. Yeah. Margaret Cho had her own sitcom. You watched... Uh, uh, it's so, many, so many sitcoms were driven by women. Alan, of course, did hers and then had a talk show later. And I was like, there are women everywhere. Like, what, what sort of crazy narrative are you rewriting well, unless that women the, weren't there? But yeah. do you think that the narrative may have been less about the, one, the ones on top and more so what the ones down at the bottom where you were doing stand-up were struggling with? Because a majority of, if you think about it, they, the, the majority of those people that you referenced, <laughs> well, not all, the majority, all of them were stand-ups, right? Right. And then you get in the stand-up scene. I mean, look, there is a little bit of, it's, very male dominated, no doubt about it. Well, I, I I'll say there are more men. Yeah. I wouldn't say the word dominated though, because that's that's a weird implication. Well, what I mean by dominated, meaning oh, that I know what you mean. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I feel like that's a, a a word that that started to get thrown around a whole bunch. Yeah, and I get sensitive to it. I guess what I I guess the way I look at it, and I started in '99. Yeah, and there was maybe one or two women that were doing stand up. Right. And again, I never lo- I was kind of more like you. I didn't really look at it that way. I never really subscribed to the theory that any that anybody was there was there was a specific goal of oppression in any way. But again, I'm also probably not the right person to, you know, sure. yeah, to yeah, be yeah. able to say whether there was or there was not. I sure. just kind of just showed up and whoever was there, male or female, was fine with me. Well, that's what I- happened to me in San Francisco, and it's San Francisco of all places. So they're all about <laughs> equality, right. and yet there just aren't that many women. And when you ask why not, their, their reasoning was, well, women were never given a platform, so we didn't see them. And I was, I was like, I saw women all the time. Well, now, yeah, and, that- <laughs> and, I, and I will say real quick, John, now that you finish up, I will say, because when I first moved out here yeah. in 2000 and I ran shows, I would say about 50% of my shows, the open mics that I ran, it was, it was about a 50-50. Really? Yes. That's In the early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, like anything, it kind of, it, things can, you know, there's ebb an and ebb and flow, flow yeah. Right? But I, I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, because I'm very, I, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm like, yeah, where's, I'm, I love the diversity of it. Sure. I, I don't. I, I'm not like, oh my god, just give me one more white dude to tell to make to make me feel good about me. Yeah, I want to hear different points of view. So sure. I was excited about it. And again, 
the, the, it, it comes and it goes. But I was I was actually really surprised with the amount of women in the early two thousands that were doing it here out here anyway. So John, yeah. Sorry. Well, no, I would just say like what your to your what your point is is very legit. Like Whoopi Goldberg, Ellen, Roseanne being kind of at the top of the game at that point in time. My 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 thought though is that you know like one percent of even male comedians can like are, are like millionaires. Do you know right. What I mean? It's it, that's such a like there are. There's a sea of comedians that perform every day, every night, all over this great country, all over the world. Yeah. And almost all of those, <laughs> like 95% of them are struggling to make ends meet, while right. 5% are like, comedy's great, I make a billion dollars. Now, yeah. my thought is that those women being on top is great, but they, and Joan Rivers, I think, would be the exception, but, and I'm wondering, did any of those women try to help? I see more now, I feel like women are trying to help each other. Whereas I don't know if they were like, it was hard enough for me to get up here, fucking get out of my way. And they yeah. had to have that male attitude of like, it's not, I shouldn't even say male attitude, like the egocentric attitude of like, I'm out for me. I'm going to look out for myself. I don't fuck about anybody right. else. <clears throat> it's funny. Did you, uh, did you guys watch uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee? Did you see the Seinfeld Eddie Murphy? I have not seen it, no. It's I didn't watch there, that episode. There yet. is one thing that Eddie Murphy talks about. He said that uh, the, uh, Seinfeld was asking him about Richard Pryor. And he's and Eddie Murphy was like, you know, I grew up, I, I I idolized Richard Pryor, and he said, well, you know, what was your relationship with him? And he said, I didn't have one, and he said, I didn't have one because I was identified as the next black man in line, like it couldn't have been both. I was uh, the next one, interesting, and so yeah. Richard Pryor was like, Fuck he that. wanted to keep. He realized he had like this real estate. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy was like, I always wondered why I was getting like I, I wasn't really getting any love from him. And he goes, and I found out, you know, later that you that's was, what it was. He's like, yeah. he looked at it like, you're dude, gonna, they're, take money they're not going to let pocket. both. Of, his attitude was like, they're not letting both of us in. And I know sure. you're on your way out. I know you're on your way up. I'm not ready to be on my way out yet. So yeah. I'm, you know, we're not we're not in this ride again. And I was like, <laughs> which is listen to that going, wow. Yeah. Again, I never really, you know, you know, we've talked to Garrett Morris. We know that that stuff existed. Yeah, of course. You know, and it's just. It's just funny when you keep hearing, you're like, wow, we really, for, and so in some respects, yeah, there were, maybe there were people that were like, no, I, I got this real estate right now. I don't, I cannot afford to help you as much sure. as I maybe would want to, the way this world is working right now. If I do that, yeah, I'm, I'm half out. Right. You know, maybe, right. maybe. Yeah. That's, so, that's just such a hard, a hard thing to, to, cause back then you're right. They, there was no, the concept wasn't, we can all be here. Right, like that's the, the kind of thing I feel now is like, there's no reason to try to keep people from doing. There's right room for everybody. If you really are funny, then you're gonna be funny and people are gonna laugh. And that's sure, all there is to it. Sure, well, and just just digressing, uh, I, I kind of get in trouble when I bring up the idea that like, what are you guys talking about with the sexism? There were <laughs> there were all right. these women. There were all of these women, and I try to be the voice that says, remember. Remember them? And for some reason, people categorize me in this kind of you're with us or against us kind of way, where all of a sudden I'm the sexist for saying, no, but look at all the women. <laughs> but it's <laughs> and, your point and of for view. for celebrating the, the women. And actually, again, as a kid being at the record store going, I'd, I'd like to see more women in here. Where are the women? So you're basically talking about twofold. So when did you move from uh, Cleveland to El Paso? How old were you? I was five, six. Okay. I was so four. really your experience yeah. was in El Paso. So yeah. you're, it's, your experience is kind of twofold. You're saying down in El Paso, and because it was Best Buy, it was like a major chain, they were limited already in access to the, the comedy talent that they were going to expose to you. Yeah. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. and without an independent outlet or Amazon online to of get course. whatever the hell you yeah, want or right. iTunes, I wasn't going to see new artists. No, yeah. no, I wasn't going to be able to find to the right. So, um, I what I'm saying is that El Paso being an island, the only thing we really got came to us over the television. Even fashion wise, we were always like a year or two behind oh, yeah. everybody else. Yeah, That's because okay. those fashions came and went, and by the time it was broadcast to us, we were like. All right, we're gonna go I get sh- those goddamn parachute pants. <laughs> it's like 1995. Okay. Hey, like, it's what time. are you wearing, Psycho? Um, <laughs> and so, uh, um, yeah, we were. It was always just a, a little bit behind. Um, but when it came to comedy, I was only exposed to what the nation broadcast into my home. Yeah, and that included a lot of women. Yeah, but when I went out into the world and looked for women, not much yeah. to be had. Yeah, no, it, there, it's. What you're saying is not wrong, and what they're saying is not wrong. It, it, a lot of this falls somewhere in the middle. And of I just, course. I think, like everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like everything, yeah. the pendulum has right. to swing one side or the other. Sure. How dare you live in the middle and uh, be uh, rational? A billion and also, percent, yes. And also, we would take shit for three white, straight dudes sitting around talking about women in comedy without consulting a woman in comedy. <laughs> no, well, I, I do believe that they, I have, and I've seen it. Okay, the early days of the comedy store were, were fucking horrendous. I was there, brutal in the early two thousands. I saw it, and they did uh, they did treat women like shit. So yeah. it did exist. I right. saw it right. firsthand. But, so I know it. I know at that they, level, they it also did exist. treated men like shit. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> like that's one thing that I know like about. There for when, a while, anytime so. you get a group of guys together, they will treat other guys like shit, especially if they're new. To kind of test your metal and see where you're going to stand in this kind of self-made hierarchy that's happening. I agree with you, but at yeah. the same time, there's a it's a different level of treating women like shit because there was also they were basically borderline trying to sexually assault them on top of oh, every oh yeah thing yeah, that were, was yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. They weren't trying to treat which you is, like shit which we didn't have me. to put up with. That, Correct. So th- that's Correct. where I would say yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. However, <laughs> uh, they weren't they weren't necessarily trying to fuck me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. yeah, and, yeah. You know, the women they wanted me there, to feel bad, but <laughs> but they but didn't only... want to put it in your butthole, and they wanted to put it in all the women's buttholes. Well, and they were like, well, and guys yeah. want want to make you feel bad to see if you'll fight back. And then once you do, they go, all right, yeah, okay. I just think for a woman walking in. They, they they have many more layers of bullshit that they have to I put up with. I don't disagree with that. You I know, don't disagree with by that, virtue of, of of passing on someone's uh, hitting on them, they become a bitch. Yeah, you know what sure. I mean. They be you know they become the c word that John likes to use. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. yeah. Or or, or, or lesbian. Uh huh. Oh, that chick's a lesbian. Wait, yeah. why? Why? Because she's not into your cool, awesome, aggressive advances. <laughs> Get away from people, psycho. I've been seeing stuff like online, like people will repost, like people like, and these are younger kids too that are like. I saw this bitch in GameStop, and I went up to her, and I was like, hey, what game are you playing? She gave me this disgusted look. She's like, I'm here with my little brother. And she tried to leave, and I was like, well, maybe if you weren't such a bitch, people be not. And I'm like, dude, don't just <laughs> randomly approach strange women yeah. that don't want to fucking talk. What <laughs> is this? People. Who is teaching this person how to behave in public? Because that's the kind of behavior that gets some dude attacking someone because they didn't care for their advances, or they were right. like, Hey, guy, video games are for nerds. I'm not a nerd. Fuck you. Like, what yeah. is this? Yeah. Why? I remember when I liked a girl, I go, hey, I like it. I don't like you. Okay, bye. And I felt the rejection, and I let it <laughs> I stewed in it, and then I decided to become a comedian later on in life. Uh-huh. I held the shame inside, yeah. and we're still talking about and, it. And here we are today <laughs> discussing it. I will say, though, that um, you know, as we talk about this stuff, and I look back on like who was around when I first started, you know, like you know Whitney Cummings, and Chelsea Handler and uh, um, okay. 
and Eliza Schlesinger and e- even Eleanor Kerrigan, who at the time was the waitress of the company. But they pu- they put up with a, they fought back. Like they were like, yeah, they, you're not. It, it, like it, it, it's interesting. Like what we, they were in when I was talking about that shitty culture. That I mean, I don't know what the culture is like now. It may be a little bit more tame. It's, hopefully, it's, well, but people, it was, people it was, are terrified. People are terrified now. But, but <laughs> that's, I, the culture. that's okay. There's, that's okay. They need to be a little. I mean, you know. I mean, given all the <laughs> shit that went down, it's okay for a little while. Uh-huh. But again, <laughs> pendulum. But my point is, having been around them, they literally were like, "Fuck off!" And like, and, yeah. and just fought, and just were like, "Fuck off!" And you're also not. I'm not fucking leaving. So there was there was an element of uh, you know you got to respect yeah. that because you knew there was another layer because I saw the way dudes. Acted, you yeah. know, yeah. around that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not a fair shake, it, and it's, it's, it's crazy. I also feel like, in spite of or because of what's going on now, the comedy community is a little more supportive. I don't know if it's if online has helped or what, but I feel like for the most part, um, that even people that don't necessarily know what my comedy is are will are supportive in the fact that I am a comedian and they see that and that they're a comedian and we can appreciate that we both have to do this job and it's it's not always easy. I feel like there's just more camaraderie uh than I felt maybe and that could be on me too. That could be on you know I think that's you. I think comedy's also not, extremely not clicky. Going out and like not do and, and I feel the click and but even then it's like I can still go talk to a clicky group of people and be like, oh yeah, hi and not necessarily be their best friends. So as, as a young child who's romanticizing comedy and wanting to see mm-hmm. a diverse array of everybody because I was just interested in the comedy. Yeah, you wanted more that, comedy. That was, the, that was the currency. Funny or not funny. And it could be any race. It could be any gender. It could be any religion. Funny or not funny. That's all, that's all we're looking at. Yeah. Are, are you making the crowd laugh? And there were people that really made the crowd laugh that I was like, eh, not for me. But like, that's okay. Which was another thing that I learned very early on. I was like, oh, they're killing, and I don't like it. So they go their direction, and I go mine. And yeah. Then, and then and it's that's just okay. over. What? It's okay that I can't make it through Richard Lewis's album. That's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay that I have a library of CDs and just cannot stand him talking for another two minutes. That's right. okay. Yeah. He's going to do very well. Yeah, he'll be fine without you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I don't need to be angry at him. I don't need to spend any time talking shit about him. Yeah. He's fine. Um, and, and, and that's more. That's a perfect... Exi- like, that's how everyone... That's how everything should be. It's like, oh, I see you doing that. You know what? I don't care for it. Yeah. I'm going to look over here. So we were, I think, taught that for a variety of things when it came to music and poetry and acting and uh, uh, painting, especially. You know, you, you show a kid a painting in a museum and they go, yeah, I don't get it. And they walk away. They don't say, let me tell you what's wrong with this. Right. You know, we're taught from a very early age to be like, hey, this is art. You should respect it. And if you don't, you go away. But nobody was ever taught that with comedy. <laughs> so... With audiences, people who are just sitting out there in the chairs, they think it's their job to like determine, is this funny or not? See, and if it's not, I need to voice that opinion real loud so this doesn't go forward. So, As if the show will be canceled because I don't like well, it. Well, right. think, I think that's twofold. One, I will tell you, when I was growing up, um, we, we, everybody was at odds. And music defined who you were. And you were... If, if you... Where I, where I grew up, it was primarily country uh-huh. and rock and roll. Yeah. And if you listen to that new wave stuff, you know, out. Mm-hmm. Get out. 
Yeah, and if well, you, you know, and, uh, and, and and vice versa. Like if oh, you were if you were into the Cure and U two and Tones for Tales and cool. you're not and Love and Rockets, you'd be right. like Love you you, you didn't like country music. Country music was for stupid people. Like you know what I mean? Like so there there was definitely like they music was also extremely judgmental. You judged. Not only the musicians, but you would also judge the other consumers, the people that, that did it. That requires a recognition that oh, somebody else does like this. Whereas with stand-up comedy, you know, you could be on stage, tell a joke, two hundred ninety-nine people laugh, one person doesn't, and they will stand up and go, "That's not funny." No. Do you and, think part of that comes <laughs> from the YouTube culture, the co- the comment section, like that world where they feel emboldened, or do you think that that's something that's just been? That's just built into that world. I feel like it comes from this long-standing idea that comedy is funny or not funny, and you get to decide as the audience member because you're the capitalist consumer, and the consumer's always right. The customer's always, I paid to laugh. And it's like, no, 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 you paid for a fucking seat. Sit the fuck down and shut up. (laughs) Um, Because these other people paid for seats, and they're having a great time. And uh, when when you've got this, the customer's always right attitude. People don't want to recognize that there are other customers. And uh, how do you how have you dealt with? And I'm assuming this comes from a personal place too. So you have a show, and you got somebody that is just is not jiving with what you're doing. The majority of the audience is with you, and they become a little mouthy. Yeah. Have you seen it go both ways? I know sometimes clubs are very slow. To, oh, remo- yeah. to remove the yeah, paid yeah, yeah. customer, the paid drinking customer, whatever. Sure. And then there are other clubs that are just like, fine, you want him out, you're, he's out. Like, what's your experience in that world? So my experience in that world, being a white guy in a suit and tie that condescends to the audience pretty directly, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> is, but very is, that, is that if somebody doesn't like it, I, um, I engage with them and I go, oh, so you're not having a good time. You don't think any of this is funny? Hang on one second. And then I'll just ask the rest of the crowd, are you guys having a good time? And then they respond, and then I look at the person who isn't liking it, and I What's go, your deal? well, you have to talk to them now. <laughs> it's not, it's I'll, I'll moderate. You talk to them. Tell them I'm not funny, and see how far you get with that argument. And uh, that's, that's always been... Wh- when I pit the crowd against each other, people shut the fuck up instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that idea of somebody standing up at a comedy club, and, and we've seen it, we've heard stories about it, they point at the comedian, they say, that's not funny. I'm always the first one to say, hey, go ahead and turn around 180 degrees, and you yell at the people who are laughing. See how far you get with that. Yeah. And for some reason, well, we know what the reason is, people are cowards, but they, they know that they don't have any recourse when it comes to their fellow customer. Have you, because of the style of comedy you have, and I've had this happen to me, and I don't, I don't, I'm not going to speak for John, but I've always found it interesting that after a show, sometimes a customer will come up and tell you what they didn't appreciate about what you were doing, and I'm always like, it's a pretty bold move to right. walk in and, and assume that they're going to make some strong impact yeah. on what you're doing. Have you ever had those experiences where the people have felt the need afterwards to somehow or another... F- Set you straight on on things, right? Well, and it's again them thinking that they make the determination. Yeah, as if you're going to change your set because Steve Johnson from Akron was yeah. like, "Hey, here's what I don't well, like." Well, and by the way, again, starting in San Francisco, I ran into that a lot. People were very, really, very mouthy as audience members, really, and they felt very entitled to say, yeah. "Well, we're just giving feedback. Don't you want to get better?" 
And it was always, oh, it, but you're only saying better in accordance to you. Did, did I that, don't even know your, you. Your, did yeah, that scene kind of like emboldened that? Better. Is that why you're saying it was very typical, more typical to happen San Francisco is, is a historically... <laughs> um, uh, a little uptight. Well, intellectually snobby? superior and snobby city. Yeah. And because they look down upon comedy and they have the attitude of, well, we're the customer and you should be up there working for us. It, it was a lot of these fights where people, people who have never thought about comedy in their lives end up outside the punchline arguing these philosophical points going, but what is comedy? What is it? And you go, you should have thought about that maybe before <laughs> yeah. you before you came here. Um, going, what do you guys want to talk about? Why yeah. you don't have any material? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So um, people at, at we're talking at coffee houses wanting to come up and say, you know, I really didn't appreciate what you did up there, and and you know it was really <laughs> offensive. And you go, no, no, it wasn't. Those are jokes that have been done before. <laughs> Didn't which, me. Which is another, another problem and lack of education when it comes to the audience is they not only assume it's their job to determine this funny or not funny thing, but they also think this is the first time you've told the joke. Oh, yeah. They're under yeah. this weird Dude, delusion they are. that You're that's how good up. you are. That though. this I've... has never existed no. before now and will never exist after now. And if it does exist after now, I want to make sure that none of the things that I didn't like don't exist. The gatekeepers. And you go, oh, oh, you're way behind. Well, <laughs> how did you end? Oh, go ahead, I was going to say at the improv, I didn't even realize this never crossed my mind. But I was there with somebody and somebody was getting kicked out, and I'm watching the manager talk to this guy and his drunk wife. They were, you know, white people from Orange County. Yeah. And she was like, I didn't do anything. I, and she had been yelling out the whole fuck. She's one of these, she agrees with you. She, yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And you're like, please shut the fuck <laughs> up. Like, I, these aren't rhetorical. Just don't. Don't. And I'm like, you know, my job before the headliner comes on is to kind of get that shit taken care of so that the headliner doesn't have to deal with it. Right. So then I finish and then she's getting kicked out and she's in the lobby with her husband and her husband's like, she's yelling, I was helping the show. Literally, she thinks she was helping the show. Right. And the guy goes, what's the big deal? They're just making it up anyway. And I'm like, oh my God, he thinks the word improv means that everybody who sets foot on stage is improvising. Is improvising. Yeah. So you're telling me that David Spade is just improvising an hour of comedy yeah, yeah, yeah. every night, right? right? Like that guy doesn't have enough to do with his brain. Uh-huh. He's going to do that. And I was like, and I, the manager goes, dude, you would be surprised how many people think that everybody is just making it up. And I'm like, that's insane to me. Well, I've thought about that really hard. And I thought about why, what would indicate that to them? And when I've run into people who say like, oh, I've always wanted to do comedy. I, I Let me tell you something. <laughs> And they will tell me a story about a time where they were really funny. And every single time, like, the events of the story are inf- unfolding. And when they get to the funny part, it's something that they just came up with on the spot. And so everybody's got this idea that, oh, you just come up with it. And it's fun. And it's easy. And then you get this huge laugh. And everybody's experienced that. And it's amazing because I will shut people's stories down when they tell me some, some long thing. They're at a dinner table with their family and their brother says something and then they say something and their family laughs. And then I say, so then everybody laughed and they go, yeah, it was funny. And I go, and then what did you do? And they go, what? I go, well, you didn't just go back to eating your peas, did you? You, you had another punchline after that, yeah, right? You told another 40 minutes. Worth and then you talked some more and you had every, everybody put their fork down and <laughs> stared at you and you started killing for an hour, right? And they went, well, no. I said, well, why not? They're like, well, it was just a funny thing. I said, 
Oh, well, good. So luck. what? You One walk off thing. stage after that? You're just done? I said, that's the work part of it. You have to have more stuff after that. You have to develop a plan to hold everybody's attention, to get laughs every 12 seconds. And people just, like, their eyes go dead and they go, oh, fuck, I guess I never considered the idea that you're talking a lot. I just thought uh, you'd have to do a funny thing. A well, funny well, that, one thing. Just one thing. Yeah, they have no idea how much time that you do on stage. Do you? Yeah, they don't. People ask that all the time. They go, how, how long is the show? <laughs> yeah. And especially bands, when I say I usually do like 45 to an hour, bands will go, Jesus, our set's only 35 minutes. Dude, yeah, most bands do 25 to 30 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was real, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say, do you think <clears throat> that comedy, stand-up in particular, is the least respected art form? Yeah, because they they think we're just making it up, and that they think we that they can do and it. And by the way, it can't be an art if you're making it up. So it, it literally can't, because art is about crafting something. You know, you have a painting and it sucks, and then you do some things to make it better. You add color, you add depth, you add perspective, and then you have a masterpiece, or you have a, a novel that you've been writing and you rewrite and you toil over, but. That takes work. That takes effort. If you're just making it up, well, can't but, be art. But you you wouldn't say that there are Im- improvers who like in, in improv groups that are art would would that that's an art. I think they're pulling I mean, from something. Still, though. I think isn't that part of learning improv is to always have to be able to pull. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like the best improv improvisers I know, there is a structure in place, yeah. and they they do understand. Like, oh, the first scene is going to be like this, but we're going to call back to that in the fourth scene, yeah. and they already know that when they're doing the first yeah. scene, and uh, so they do have, they have structure, a database they and they work have training, from. and they have they have a, a vocabulary to describe everything they're doing. So it is an art, yeah, but, and they build. but but the art is the ability to be consistent even though you are making it up and yeah. so they are they are crafting something um, but the average consumer doesn't know that right the average consumer goes but it's funny <laughs> so if you have somebody improvise into a microphone they go oh well that's stand up and if you have somebody doing a podcast that's really funny while they're on their feet people go oh that's stand up <laughs> and if you have somebody who's doing a ted talk that's really funny people go oh that's stand up and at some point i have to go you fucking people have no idea how to identify stand up yeah, yeah. you see a microphone and you think it's stand up so that's the other thing that prevents it from being an art people don't even know what they're looking for they have no they have no grasp on what's going on yeah. so taking a step back um you obviously had a love for stand-up, but it sounds like you've also an- you you actually have a love of analyzing it too. You you or maybe an obsession. I don't I don't know which sure. one it is. Well, but I, there but yeah. it, it seems like it's more than just listening to the jokes, thinking it's funny, having it inspire you. Wanted to do it. I mean, yeah. you have you have a you you have a, a deep. You've done some research. You pay attention. You 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 actually have a, a belief system as well. It's sure more well, so and, than just and, telling a joke. And I think I think that kind of. Uh, I think I only started doing stand-up because as a consumer, as a kid, I wanted to connect with people who liked it as well. And then it's been really heartbreaking to get into stand-up and you meet people who never gave a shit about it. And they're touring the country getting laughs, but they never watch their opening act. They do 45 minutes exactly and run off stage. And uh, they actually say things like, ugh, I hate comedy. Don't you just hate comedy? And it's heartbreaking that those people actually get work and are admired by the audience. And, uh, you know, I really wanted to connect with people on this love of comedy. And I thought, well, I guess I'll just have to go to where the comedians are. And the only way the comedians were going to even respect me or hang out with me is if I created something that was worth watching. So I guess I'll put a lot of work into that. And... uh, 
yeah, it's only been in the last like year that I've kind of realized like the desire was never to be on stage and be famous. The desire was just to connect with people over this love of what was happening. And uh, the heartbreak that the... You're, I, I honestly believed that I would get on stage and everybody in the audience would be nice and polite and they would want, <laughs> they would want to celebrate this art form. And that was true 0% of the time. <laughs> and so, so we're talking about a love of comedy that came with just endless heartbreak. But you didn't give up. You said you started at 18. You're still doing it. I'm still doing it because I'm still looking for moments like this where we actually get to connect and talk about things on a very deep level. And, and do it through not only the understanding of the history, which we've talked about, but kind of philosophical ideas and our own personal experiences. But the, just this, this thing that exists that even academia has only, in the last couple of years, started to look at. You know, you've got Emerson, where you can get a, a bachelor, a BFA in comedic arts. Hmm. USC has a couple of stand-up classes where you can get, earn collegiate-level wow, credit. I know that. And, uh, yeah, Wayne Fetterman. That teaches the like secondary level class. Well, you know what? <laughs> if you're gonna have a teacher, Wayne yeah, Fetterman's great, great. a pretty fucking good one to have. Really, <laughs> really good. Hilarious. And has has a, a breadth of experience and understanding of the history of it. But it's so weird, like when people say you can't teach comedy. It's always based on that idea of teaching people how to get up and do it. It's never based on, yeah, but what about the history of it? What about joke structure? What about philosophy? You can teach people a yeah. shit ton about stand-up comedy. Well, you're, you're kind of talking about, and, and I, I feel the same way about the way we teach just anything related to the arts. Is anything. It, everything should have the word appreciation attached to it. Right. We teach what it is. Yeah, but you don't you don't teach people how to learn to appreciate it, understand the because not everybody's going to do it. Not everybody's going to be a guitarist. Not everybody's going to be a pianist. Not everybody's going to be a stand up. Not everybody's right. going to be an actor. That doesn't mean you can't appreciate the art form. And right. Instead, I think they move towards the structure side of things and forget about the appreciation. Right. And fo I think you should start young and start with people, whatever art it is, and don't start with teaching them the structure. Teach the appreciation first, because yeah. those that that will eventually <laughs> get the structure. It's in them anyway, and they'll they'll go down that path. Yeah. Well. Oh, go ahead. No, that that was it. I, ju I just said that. That's one of the things with 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 stand up that I think until you actually teach the appreciation of it, it's always going to be this 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 this. There's going to be a pull on the well, other side of the stage. Yeah. Yeah. Because and the consumer wants what they want. They also the consumer. This is the only art form where they understand what the outcome is supposed to be. When it comes to painting, they, yeah. they admit, they go, well, it's whatever you take from it. And you go, well, that's not fucking true, but if it shuts you up, great. Yeah. Um, and with poetry, they always go, well, you know, it's whatever you take from it. They love to sit Long and watch poetry and go, mmm, mmm, <laughs> with this uh, like feigned appreciation for it. But with stand-up, they know, like, well, that's the punchline I'm supposed, supposed to, to laugh. laugh. Yeah. I know what the end result is supposed to be, so fucking give it to me. And uh, it turns into, it turns from art into entertainment entertainment because entertainment is all about you the consumer did you like it then it's good yeah did you not like it well and it's bad and sucks then yeah let's throw it away <laughs> it's it's all or nothing do you and this is another thing that i, I think about sometimes is that you, you like younger and younger i mean as i get older the comics are getting younger around me you know yeah what I mean? but how is that happening i feel like <laughs> i feel like like when you with you going to the record store and getting like we didn't have the internet 
I didn't have the internet when I got into Bill Cosby. I had, there was a Carlin HBO special that I could only see clips of because my dad was like, that's not for you. And I got, you know, I, the, the, I, but I, once I found Cosby and Eddie Murphy and I started to dig at it, and that was part of the fun. And that, like you said, it, it, watching A&E and all that shit exposed us to all these different comedians where I feel now there are some comics I meet who don't have any comedic, uh, idols or any comedic heroes. No or foundation. Any, there's no. They don't have any appreciation, like you were saying, Brian, for the actual art form. It's like, no, I was. I did this thing. I entered a contest, and I was good, and I just kept doing it. And and I'm not saying they're not good at it, or they're not going to be great at it, or right. they're already better than me, or whatever. But but there's just no. I find it interesting that with the internet, with our at the finger at our fingertips, there's access to Laurel and Hardy, Three Stooges, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, like. There are so many things you can find online now that I feel like everyone's like, nah, I'm going to watch this other thing. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think the part of the problem is too there much. is too much. Too and much. it's and, yeah. and unless you really, like we, what we're talking about, we, we turned on a television and, and we were exposed to something very specific. Yeah. Now, when you log on to the internet, the first, everything. the first 50,000 <laughs> things that are hilarious are Logan Paul or you know what I mean like it's not stand up it's yeah. it's people doing and it's going to I'm going to sound like an old man get off my lawn cuz my kids watch all this shit but it's people doing hacky shit in video vlogs and stuff like that they're not getting exposed yeah. to to stand up so they're they're the, even worse is their idea of comedy is a little skewed so then when, the, when I think a lot of them when they're eventually going to get into stand up they're going to be coming from such a different place because of how Everything they were br- how they were brought into sure. comedy. Sure, that concerns me yeah. personally. It's, well, yeah, I weird. mean, it's always uh, you, the mindset of the audience is something that I've just thought about endlessly because I know my mindset as an audience member was not that. It was not, uh, you know, um, <laughs> what? It's funny. <laughs> yeah, it was never that. Right. It was always like, yeah, but what is this person doing different? Um, I, I, I studied uh, uh, creative writing in college because I thought, I thought that would be easy. <laughs> I thought that would be a very easy thing that I could do. Yeah. My, my mindset was literally like, what, I'll turn in a poem. What are they going to tell me? It's not a poem. <laughs> how, how could they ever do that? And uh, you know what? They, um, they have a very specific way of doing that. Like what you is, wrote here? It's garbage. <laughs> uh, guys, I got so fucked. And by the way, the reason I tried to get an easy major is because I was doing stand-up every night. And so I wanted something easy so I can be in school during the day Where'd and then run school? out at night. I went to San Francisco State. Okay, that's how you ended up in San Francisco. Um, well, my older brother lived in uh, Dublin, Pleasanton. So my thought was, I, I want it's 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 uh, forty five minutes outside. Oh, okay. yeah. it's, oh, Pleasanton. It's, it's just east. Where uh, east? Tony okay. isn't Tony T's there? Or? Tommy T's Tommy is there T's, now. Yeah. 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 Um, so I thought I'll go to San Francisco because it'll be a big city, which I'm not. This really is going from to. El Paso. So you yeah, were was, out of high school. I was 18. Yeah. Straight out of high school, you're like, I'm going to go closer to where my brother is. Um, I did a year at the College of Santa Fe. Okay. And the reason I went up there is because Albuquerque had a comedy club. That comedy club was closed by the time I got to uh, Santa Fe. Yeah. I'm here, you guys. Yeah. Uh, there's no comedy. Right, I'm no. out, guys. <laughs> All right, I'm done. Yeah. Um, and I did. I did stand up at various like open mics around Santa Fe, which an open mic is, well, this guy's going to play guitar, and that lady's going to do her poems, and that person 
has a little uh, dance piece they're going to do. And then, and then Ryan will tell some jokes. Yeah. By the way, you may be the first person I've ever heard choose his college locations based on stand-up. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like, literally, Usually that was the your... first person I've ever heard. Yeah. yeah. I, I knew... I knew what my interest was, and so I, I was going to explore that. That's a fair, but honestly, man. But no I one ever says that. Usually they go to college and then stand up. Oh, good, they're stand up here. Yeah, like yeah, you're yeah. like, no, no, what's going What's the scene like where I'm going? Yeah, but I envy that that focus and that knowledge of like already knowing, like, I want to do stand up, like, because I didn't have that. I was like, you can't, yeah. what do you just go? Like, my mom, when I moved out here, she was like, what? Why don't you go on stage? You're, you, you know, you like comedy. I go, yeah. Are you a fucking crazy person? You don't just go on a goddamn. And then I look up on in the LA Weekly. I'm like, oh, it, it turns out you just go up on exactly. stage. You just you go did. to the haha and you go up on stage. It's funny. That was something that John Mulaney told me. He was like, I didn't know you could just start. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I just so you see <laughs> actors and you're like, how? What? Yeah. Well, it's also think about it. Did you know a bunch of other people that were stand ups when you were growing up? Zero people. Okay, so you had no yeah. one to tell you yes. that this right, is exactly. how it works. Right. 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 right so right. you just kind of just. You're out on your own, like yeah. literally thumbing, you know? But, but when you look, listen to somebody's story like Chappelle, he was a teenager. He told his mom that he wanted to do stand-up, and she went, okay, let's go to the club then. And so he's a teenager being able to get on stage at the club as soon as he had the slightest interest. Did you do stand-up pre-18 or no? Um, I did it at a high school talent show. Okay, I did it on so, my 17th birthday. And? It was my first set. Wow. And? Just... Um, it d- went well, but all day long just gut wrenching. Oh man, couldn't have lunch. Yeah, and what a dangerous situation for your first time because if you bomb in that situation, You're you have to fucked. see people in the hall <laughs> every day, and they're gonna mock you. <laughs> yeah, hey, look at the funny guy. Hey, clown, tell me some fucking jokes. So instead, it went well. Very first set, there was a, a paragraph in the school paper about how well I did. <laughs> were you a, were you a likable yeah. fella in high school, or um, were you a loner? Like what for was the your... first like three years was not very um, involved in stuff. Okay, and then my senior year, I kind of looked around. I kind of went. And this is, at this point, like, I've had a lot of stand-up under my belt, like, as a consumer. A lot of Carlin influencing my life choices. Yeah. And so my, by my senior year, I'm looking around going, I think this is bullshit. Oh, this whole system is goddamn bullshit. I'm going to be really popular by the end of this year. And I know how I'm going to do it. I'm just going to put my face on the, the, the news station, like, the, the, that get broadcast throughout the school. Uh. I'm going to be an anchor on that. I'm just going to run for homecoming king because if they just see my face, my name on the ballot, they'll be like, oh, okay. And then I'm going to run for prom. I'm going to do everything. I'm just going to do, I'm going to get involved with student council. Everybody's going to see my face everywhere and that'll just make me popular. And you know what? It It worked. It did. (laughs) Totally fucking worked. Somebody told me I lost prom king by like 10 votes. (laughs) <laughs> and and that just made me giggle hysterically because I didn't want to be the prom king. I just wanted to see if these idiots would vote for me based on seeing my... I, just, I started going to like high school basketball games and football games just thinking of it as like a social activity where people would see my face. And it worked so well. Like I should have moved to Hollywood instantaneously. Yeah. <laughs> like when I had that drive of like, oh, you just do stuff to be popular. That would have worked so well in Show this town. Show up everywhere. People have to like you. But by the time I showed up here, I was this San Francisco artist. And I was like, nah, I don't. <laughs> Socializing seems I'm like I'm not going to glad hand people. And yeah. it was like, oh, you, you should have moved to LA immediately. Were yeah. you in El Paso? I mean, were you, uh, your parents, if you moved from Cleveland to El Paso, I'm assuming yeah. it was because of their jobs? Or what was yeah, the... Yeah, they run the cartels. Okay, good. Um, Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And now it all makes sense. Uh, no, my dad worked for General Motors. Okay. So uh, he... 
He got transferred. He could go to Buffalo or El Paso. Those were his choices. God, I bet he was at Cleveland. He was sick of winter, so he was like, fuck Buffalo. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. He said, I'm never going to see winter again. Yeah. And he did not. And he did not. And they're still there. They're and still El- there. Okay. And El Paso, terrible place to grow up because nothing's happening. Even even there are no bands coming through town. There's nothing influencing El Paso. Like you grow up in the Bay Area. You grow up in San Francisco. You Dude. go, oh, my favorite band is in San Jose. We'll just drive down there. Yeah. It's an hour. Or wait a day and they'll be here. Yeah, or we'll go across to Oakland and yeah. see what's happening over there. Like, we'll just take a train. <laughs> and it's so easy. Everything's connected. The BART. Uh-huh. You grow up in, in Jersey, and you go, oh, we'll just go to New York. It'll yeah. be easy. El Paso, San Antonio's nine hours oh east. Oh, my God. How far away is Dallas? Dal- I mean, Dallas is like 10 hours. You have to you have to curve around. Um, Phoenix is eight hours the other way. Denver is 11 hours north. So like, you're very isolated. All I you're can around think, nothing. All I think about is that Marty Robbins song. <laughs> Down in the West Texas town of El Paso. Yep, we've got that. Love with and UTEP. We've got UTEP. We've got uh, a salsa. We've got some taco salsa. shells. Salsa. Old El Paso. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's and made then, in New York City. I'm and kidding. then uh, my dad working for General Motors, the plant was actually in Juarez. So he would not cross even, the border every the... day. No dialect down there, huh? Um, as far as wait, the, I'm sorry, real quick. The General Motors plant was in Mexico. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Well, so General Motors told their employees, like, "Hey, um, use the buddy system. Uh, if you get kidnapped by the cartels, General Motors can't pay the ransom because if we do that, they're just going to start kidnapping all everybody. of our people. And if you remember, like in the early '90s, like uh, somebody was just taking women from the maquiadoras." And they were just ending up dead in the desert. Jesus. There were just bodies of like 40, 50 women found out in the desert. And nobody Jesus knew what Christ. was going on. And the FBI got called in to help investigate. And uh, it was uh, when I grew up, it was also people wonder like where I get this kind of dark streak in my comedy. And I'm like, well, I was a kid and I'd turn on the news and it would be the 10 murders at 10 o'clock. And it's just death everywhere. Yeah. And it's right over there. You can look over the river. And that's where all the death is happening. And uh, that's a weird place to be as a kid, where you're just reminded of it often. That is weird. You'll be dead. Um, hopefully, it's not a, a violent death. Hopefully. But who knows? You get decapitated, maybe. But you don't have the Texas uh, uh, drawl at all. Texas draws is all East Texas. It is, okay. Yeah, and plus, I, I was four when I left Cleveland, so that was a lot of... I sound like somebody from Cleveland. Yes, when you I'm do. in Cleveland, I hear, Mom! And I go, oh, that's how I say mom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that is obnoxious. <laughs> oh. That's like going to Chicago. Ma, 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 ma. Uh, <laughs> so you, how many people are in your family? Two parents and then uh, a, a younger brother. Younger brother. I have an older half-brother from my dad's first And marriage. he was the one that was living near, okay. Older half-brother, mathematical genius, went to Caltech for free. Wow. Um, immediately got into the software. Uh, Ooh, he's a millionaire. Um, well, what he did was he moved, ni- 1992, he ends up in the Bay Area and gets into, um, he, he's working for Lawrence Livermore Labs, which is a government thing, and he's doing software engineering. And then he goes and he helps a little internet startup, and then the government knocks on my brother's door and says, hey, we'd like you to come back because we don't know anybody who can do this stuff. So he goes back and works for the government. But wow. he buys this house out in Dublin, and uh, there's nothing out in Dublin Pleasanton at the time. The BART doesn't even run all the way out there. And uh, by 2018, everything's built up in that area. So he's, I'd say, 47. And he calls me and he's like, yeah, I'm going to sell the house and make a lot of money and move to Indiana. 
And uh, that's what he did. He's retired now. He has a nice house in Indiana with nine bathrooms, I'm told. Interesting. And, uh, but he lives in Indiana. Why? Well, why? <laughs> like, I feel like he could have lived wherever he, he family wanted and stuff? to. I, I, I doubt he'll ever hear this, and if he does, I'm very sorry. Um, but I, I feel like that's what a nerd's midlife crisis looks like. Indiana. Oh. When you... No, well, he just looked at the numbers. Yeah. He looked at the numbers and said, oh, I, I sell, sell the house. Yes. I get a bigger, bigger house. Yeah. And I've got all the money. I'm done. I completed it. And my and whole thing is, what are you going to do in Indiana? And his answer is, whatever I want. And I'm like, that's not an answer. It's literally not, there's no passion behind that answer. There's no curiosity behind that answer. You're going to have to go find a passion. Or not. Or does, not. Does he travel? Um, his, well, that's the other thing. Um, my nephew's 16, lived his whole life in the Bay Area. Oh, God. Lives in Indiana now. Oh, no. Hey, tell him that trick you learned about uh, the senior year thing. And oh, oh, oh just, just be popular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you haven't killed yourself yet, try uh, this. That's, I mean, that, yeah. that's a, cr- I can't, like. I mean, growing up in the suburbs of Chicago, it was like you'd look at California like, oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to do it the other way, where I was like, yeah, I grew up in Los Angeles, and now I... Now I'm in Muncie, Indiana. No, oh, no, no, it no, happens. no, no. Um, so he's he's involved with sports, and my, my older brother ends up driving him to all sorts of sports things, <laughs> and he's spending hours in the car driving his son around. And I'm like, okay, so you, you left your job to be a driver. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what happened. Yep. Um, there's honor in that. There's honor. You so you end up in San Francisco, and it, uh, what? Was, so where was the first place you got to finally go up? Um, I went up at this place called the Luggage Store. It was a <laughs> was it literally? Tell a, me it sold luggage. Please. It was it was an art gallery. Oh, okay. I was terrified. We, that we it was were more bummed. We were kind of oh, okay. yeah. oh, you were. I was terrified. You hadn't quite figured that out whole that whole day. Time. I was like, "Am I going to be like standing next to the Samsonites or <laughs> God, Samsonites? Like, am I right? How huh? they, where do they put the chairs?" But it was. I would have rather a luggage uh, the luggage store because <laughs> you walk up these stairs and it's this flat white space and there's nothing on the walls because nobody's rented out the gallery. Uh. And then you've got people setting up chairs at eight o'clock for uh. the show. They're setting up metal folding chairs. They have AA meetings there during the day. And then <laughs> now instead of a circle, they just set them up in rows. There's no microphone. Oh god. There's no lighting. So this is this is not the theater experience I thought I was going to have where they say, ladies and gentlemen, Ryan Stout, and the crowd cheers. And then you come so up and grab the mic, this and is, tell jokes. And, and there's no mic. And this, yeah. is the, this is the first, so the only other time you did it was high school. High school and, talent and, show and, and, in and a theater full of people screaming. With a microphone. And excited. <laughs> and this is the second time. Um, this well, I did some poetry open mics in but, in Santa Fe, oh, so right. it was I had been disappointed. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you felt some failure but there. But this was a straight stand-up show, or well, no, this, this was is, not either. Well, and this is a straight stand-up show, but it's also in my head like, oh, you're moving to a real city now. This isn't rinky-dink bullshit in Santa Fe. This is this is. This is a scene with history. Yeah. You've seen specials that were shot up the street mm-hmm. at, at Broadway Studios. You've seen things that were filmed. You've heard records. Robert Schimmel's records were recorded at Cobb's right there. Oh, my God, we're here. It's San Francisco. And then you walk into this place. It's just flat, sad people setting up chairs. And I go, is this stand-up? And they go, yeah, put your name on the list. Okay. Um, And so that summer... so begins the journey. That summer of 2001, (laughs) it's kind of amazing looking back, though, because Chelsea Peretti was up 
getting getting stage time. And uh, Moshe Kasher notes that his first set was at the luggage store. Oh wow! And you just kind of go, all right. I guess a lot of us went through this utter hell. Well, that's I yeah. Mean, don't everybody. You, yeah, and that's the thing is you realize as you get you go through it. You then meet a veteran or somebody, you know, and they're like, "Oh yeah, dude, I came up through. Oh, that mic's still going on. Yeah, I had to do." And you're like, right. "Oh fuck, this I'm. Right. This isn't special to me. Yeah, this is like if you want to be, if you want to come through the scene in this city, you got to start somewhere." Sure. And I love that people see that and they go, "I'm not doing this." Now, and you go, "Dude, oh well, then you're gonna be nothing." What is your? <laughs> I I have a very. I had a. Uh, my wife's uh, this friend of hers from college. Come moves to town in 2014. We're not married yet, but we're dating. We go out to lunch with this guy. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, I'm moving to town with my buddy. We're gonna, you know, do stand up." And like, she was thinking, and like, "Okay, this is kind of a good meeting. Now, you, maybe there can be some help here." And I was like, "Okay." So we we chatted up, and and then whatever. And I was like, "Yeah." And I th- I give him the thing. I'm like, "Look, you got to go every mic all the time. Like, be up on stage as much as you can." I don't know. That's the only advice I can really give. That's what I did. I was. I tried to be at every show all the time, constantly, for the first five, six years. And he's like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And we have lunch three years later. And I'm like, in my head, go on my way to the lunch, I'm like, wow, if he's improved, if he's been really loving it, I've got some gigs coming up, maybe he could feature for me. I was like, really ready to be like, dude, let's get you on the I'll road. help you. Yeah. yeah. Trying to be nice, right? And then the first couple of things, I'm like, so you've been getting up a lot or whatever? He's like, yeah, you know, just I not really. I go out and I see these open mics. I'm just like, nah, I don't want to do that. Like, I like, I like like theaters, and I'm like, oh, 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 oh you like theaters? Oh, yeah. Oh, my bad. Get in line. Oh, I, why don't you know what? Just do a sold out comedy club every weekend. Do you like yeah. that? Have you ever thought about just being the star of your own movie? Yeah. Or, or be getting a sick. Mm-hmm. The fuck are you talking about? Yeah. You don't like. Oh, I, I literally. I like I, Everything I had in my mind flushed out one ear as soon as he said that, and I was like, on the way home, I told my wife, I'm like, I can't. She right. Goes, oh fuck no! If he's not going to put in any work, right? Why would you help him? There are of course. a thousand comics out there right now who would kill to just get out and be a feature somewhere. I'm one of them. Like you know what I mean? Like fuck, dude, you got to put in some work. Yeah. Everybody I ever met who said, uh, "I'm going to work smart, not hard." I never heard from those people ever again. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're, they really they're off, working smart. They're off being smart someplace. Got, they got a job. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the smart, smart thing. thing to do is uh-huh. to get considerable income that comes in once a week that you're guaranteed that you can do your job, that you can get to work, that you can raise your kids, yeah. you can have a house. That is smart. So this is going to be a three-hour podcast. I have a story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it goes in, and it goes on for another two and a half hours. Uh, there was this uh, very famous story that gets told in art school about this pottery professor who tells the class, he says, uh, uh, this semester you can be in group one or group two. Group one, if you just make 60 pots, you make 60 of them, you get an A. Oh, yes. 50, you get a B. 40, you get a C. Uh, and so on and so forth until you fail. Um, or group two, I will just judge you on the quality of one pot. And you just turn in one pot at the end, and if it's great, you get an A. If it's not so great, A minus, and so on and so forth. So quality or quantity, you pick. You pick whatever group, and you just tell me what group you were in at the end of the semester. You do your thing. And then I'm here to answer questions, um, and that's it. You're done. We don't, we don't do any more classes. You just come to me if you have questions or you want guidance. I'm here for you every class. And uh, people pick their groups, and every, at the end of the semester, all of the very best pots, all of the top quality pots, all came from the people in group one who made a shit ton of pots. 
because while they were making their pots, they were learning what mistakes they were making. They were learning how to fix them. They were learning how to achieve what they wanted to achieve. By repetition, they made the best work. Meanwhile, everybody who picked group two, who sat around and Just theorized about pots, play. who thought about, oh, yeah, I, I think when I make my pot, yeah. I'm going to make it like this. They turned in dog shit yeah, because they didn't know how to do it. And so um, I, I love that idea because there are a lot of people who think they're going to outthink stand-up. And you go, yeah, but if you've never said the words before, they're not going to come out right. No, dude. If you've never heard the laughs or like interacted with the timing, not going to work, buddy. Even if, you, even if you watch it, but I had a friend from high school who like every time I would see him, he'd be like, yeah, man, I'm going to get up there. I'm going to get up there. I've got, I got, been writing. i got notebooks. i got notebooks. I go, you can take your notebooks and you can stick them, dude, until you get on stage <laughs> I don't care how many notebooks you have. Yeah. I go, the whole thing is being on stage. If you're not going to take the fucking mic and say the words, <laughs> I don't have anything else to help you with. Right, right. So it's, it's kind of an amazing thing because, as we know, people are lazy. Dude. It's very hard not to be lazy. Yeah. As I get older, I have to look at my day and just go, fuck, what do I want to do today? Because I'm not going to be able to do all of it that I want to do. Yeah. I'm going to get lazy probably around 10 p.m., just gonna get I, tired. Do you think you're less lazy now than you were when you were younger? That passion and drive when I started stand up, yeah. I don't know how I achieved as much as I did in those early days. And I'm just glad that I had the energy to do it when I did it. Yeah. Because if somebody wants to start stand up at 35, Dude. I'm like, hey, find man. A, find I, a mic that's done by 7 30 every night. Right. <laughs> I just, uh, I never thought I'd be that guy. Cause when you're young and you have that energy, you don't imagine how it would ever disappear. And it just go, it evaporates. Yeah. And so you tell people, like, I, I hope you use your time wisely. Oh, my God. Please go up and be rehearsed when you do your open mic. Because if you're stumbling and looking at notes, you're just wasting your own time. And you're going to be so exhausted. <laughs> yeah, you're And you're not going to achieve anything. Yeah. Um, but did, people do it. Did you always have the, uh, uh, did you evolve or did you always have a specific style that you went with? Or who, who were you when you first started? And uh, and did it evolve, and when did you kind of notice the change? So when I started, um, it, was, it was made very clear to me that clean was going to be beneficial. More, more economical. But why was not really explained to me. If they would have said, hey, um, 15 years from now, you're going to find out that uh, there are these uh, radio stations on Sirius XM radio. Right. And there's a bunch of them. And if you created clean comedy, you'll be on all of them. And if you created dirty comedy, only you'll on only be one on of one of them. And uh, that one has 30,000 other comedians that you're competing with for airtime. Versus if you're clean, you're going to be on all of them and you'll collect $250,000 a year. Um, I would have been a lot more <laughs> focused yeah, on being clean. But the artistry of it, and especially being in San Francisco, where Lenny Bruce was arrested, where fucking Allen Ginsberg made Howell and got in trouble for obscenity and all sorts of other things, you're surrounded with this idea of like, nah, buck the system, kid. Yeah, say what Just you want. get up there. And so I actually started off not using any profanity, but being exceptionally controversial. Just getting on stage talking about rape and AIDS and abortion and suicide oh. and trying to be like, well, how can I dissect this in a way that you cannot disagree with? How can I really just rub your goddamn noses in this topic in a way where you have to go, 
well, but he, it's funny. Yeah. And so it was... Gotta give him that. It was really jarring at first. And uh, and I was trying to be Carlin. I was going to say, you liked... Did you listen to Lenny Bruce at that point? You were... I mean, I think we all tried. There's no connecting to Lenny Bruce because yeah. he was so connected to the 60s. Yeah. And I'm not. Oh, really? There's just... <laughs> turns out... I don't, maybe. I don't have any way in, for yeah. God's sakes. Yeah. I'd have to look up a ton of references just to even have a hint of what the fuck he's talking about. Um, but, uh, you know, as as time evolved and I wanted people to, like, really understand the idea that, oh, I'm going to get up and talk into the microphone. I'm not going to be doing cartwheels. I'm not going to juggle. I don't have puppets. I'm not dancing. I'm not I singing. decided, oh, I'll put on a suit and tie. That should when, send when, the message. When did that happen? When did the suit and tie happen? Because I'm sure at first you're starting your T-shirt, you're maybe a button-down, whatever. Um, I, I did bowling shirts for a while. Yeah! <laughs> bowling shirt face, excellent. Uh-huh, good. That's good. a guy who started comedy in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Bowling shoes as well? Or? Oh, yeah, oh. well... Wing wingtip. Okay, all right. Uh, Doc Martens. Wow. Oh, what? Wingtip Doc Martens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy shit! I didn't even know those were a thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was getting up with the, the very very nineties look, which uh, you know it's two thousand one, and I'm from El Paso, so I'm like three you're, years behind. You're, I'm like three fi- four years in El Paso. You're ahead of the game. Yeah. And in Los Angeles, these motherfuckers coming up here like all nineteen ninety seven style. Yes. Yeah. And. Uh, I hated putting any thought into what I was going to wear on stage, so I was like, if I put on a suit and tie, that should be good forever, right? Not even thinking that even suit styles change over time. Well, yeah, go look at, well, go watch a Friends episode oh. and be like, what are they wearing? They look like circus tents. Like, yeah, that yeah. was a big baggy <laughs> suit. You're like, uh-huh. that looks like shit. Double-breasted, and you oh thought that God, was going to be around buttons. forever. Everyone's dressed like Steve Harvey, but nothing fits right. You're like, <laughs> yeah. oh, God. Yeah. David Byrne. Dude, <laughs> swimming in it. You watch some old stand-up clips where people are wearing suits, and you go, what is that tie? Oh, dude. Oh, my God. There's, there's some insane... You just watching A-List or Evening at the Improv or any of that shit, you're like, just Brian Regan from decade to decade. You're Collar. Like, Good God. Tie. <laughs> Oversized, yeah. But so, so. You, the, the suit and tie, like I kind of agree that it is classic. But yes, suit styles change. Did you find that you were? Um, I was re up. I was. Uh, I was. I looked like a men's warehouse type <laughs> accountant um, getting on stage. But there was a very specific change, which is I remember W. Kamau Bell telling me like you're gonna get beat up in the parking lot at the Sacramento Punchline. That's what's gonna happen to you. If you get on stage and condescend to the audience as a 19-year-old white kid in a suit. And uh, after a few months, Kamau approached me. He said, I'm going to be honest with you. I couldn't imagine you without the suit now. (laughs) That's funny. It just fit so well. And I started getting, um, I describe it as, uh, by the way, my new album, number three, is called Man in the Suit. Which is very different from Boy in the Suit, where, which is the era we're talking about. Um, but I start Man in the Suit by talking about kind of the history of what it's like to wear a suit as times changed. Because I started getting on stage as a kid, and people, when I was wearing jeans and a t-shirt, people were like, why is this nice young man screaming at us like this? I started wearing the suit and tie. Audiences everywhere just started going, well, clearly he knows what he's talking he's about. He's got a suit on. Yeah, he's we're used to this. Okay. And then around the financial collapse, people had a very jarring yeah, attitude Yeah, get out of here with the fucking suit, you fucking white and oppressor. Then, and then they kind of got out of that, and then election of 2016, people immediately see suit and tie, and they just want to know, all right, whose side are you on? Yeah. How do you... How do you or you just ignore it, and just do, you're just doing your thing regardless. I, so. I acknowledge that they want to know whose side I'm on, and I go, 
Uh, number one, doesn't matter because we're not going to talk about it, so you can relax. And people tend to enjoy that. Yes. They're like, oh, good. Sure. And yeah. then I say, oh, you're going to leave here divided, but not over politics. <laughs> yeah, no, not over politics. Not, over dick jokes, I'm people. Gonna, I'm going to divide you over your shitty morality. Yeah. Um, there you go. And uh, so then we start dicing up the audience that way. But uh, uh, yeah, if you want a taste of that, please listen to the new album or some of the old albums, because I really haven't changed much over the years. <laughs> it's been this idea of where our logic and our feelings kind of collide in a lot of different places in life. You know, uh, one of the first jokes on the first album is talking about somebody falling down the stairs at the battered women's shelter. <laughs> and you go, okay, well, clearly I don't, mor morally I want to go, well, that's not correct. I don't want to laugh at that. But mentally you can't help but put yourself right. into that situation where somebody's going, what happened to you? I fell down the stairs. No, come on. Come on. We're at a... We're, at we're a, all... It, you're okay here. Shelter. You could tell the truth. Safe space. And, and, and it was because of being in San Francisco that you ch that, that that's where that came from? Or was that something that... I think that was just internal struggle of, you know, growing up in El Paso, which is a predominantly Latino community, and I'm white, and... Uh, I'm assuming you didn't do those types of jokes in high school, though. No, okay. probably... Prob no, I was too busy trying to just be observational. Okay, yeah. all right. Um, but... Uh, when you grow up white in a not white community, and then all of a sudden you you go out into the world and people say, you don't know what it's like to be different because you're white. And you go, oh, there's a lot of logic that's not adding up right now. Yeah. And then people are like, we really want to hear about people's experiences, but not yours, white man from a not white community. Um, and as a, as a person who is uh, anosmic, I don't have a sense of smell. So I'm technically a disabled person. But nobody talks about my disability. There's no inclusion with my disability. So it's like this constant, like, you hear what people are saying and the logic of it, and you say, yeah, but what about this? What about this other true thing? And they have this emotional response where they go, no, 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 but not that. We just don't want that. And we're excluding it for no good logical reason. We're just excluding you for emotional reasons. <laughs> you know, I certainly had women in high school tell me that they couldn't date me because their parents don't like white people. And that was just, like, the pain of that does not get to, you know, traverse outside those boundaries. How do you, how do you process that? Because, obviously, you're seeing a completely different world on television than the world that you're living in. Yeah. And where, did, did that kind of come in conflict as well? You're like, Jesus, this is like, this world on TV, I mean, minus the 10 o'clock news, but, yeah. like, the, the television itself, the sitcoms, sure. whatever it was that you were watching, it was a completely different world than the world you were living in. Like Friends. Yeah. 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 There. I, took, I took a very um, abrasive attitude toward it because I was like, oh, this is all Hollywood bullshit. bullshit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this is, like, their fantasy of what the world is like. You can be a waitress and have a Did you talk to your parents about it? Did, did you ever have issues where you were like, do we have to live? Did it ever get to the point where you were like, I, why are we living here? Like, it. Um, you, did you never get that no, far? No, by the time I could like really articulate what the problem was with that, it, you know, and if you've ever been in therapy, you find out so many of your problems are your parents, and uh, <laughs> you know that's <laughs> you know they're not the person you want to go to to right. solve this this citywide issue. You know, you're not six going to your parents going, listen, I'm dealing with some some bigotry at school. <laughs> Um, you just don't you you the kids don't like me, and then your parents go, oh, it's fine, just ignore them. You know, it's very simplistic, and because they didn't grow up in that community, they yeah. don't see the problem. They just assume that I'm having issues at school the same way kids do, 
And especially my mom grew up in East Cleveland where she was, you know, there were a lot of tension between black and white people in East Cleveland, but it wasn't like this over dominance in one way or the other in that particular area. Okay. Certainly if you talk to people of color who grew up in East Cleveland, they go, no, 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 we recognized a lot of white people. Especially West Cleveland, we can see West Cleveland is all white. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, my mom had her own issues growing up, and uh, uh, yeah. So there's a there's a lot of just internalized struggle that I couldn't articulate logically how I felt, and just conflict there. And it's been a common theme through everything I've done on stage, and uh, it's it's weird because you again the the comedy fan in me. I would have the expectation that comedy fans would dig into the work and look for that and see a theme and appreciate the idea that, oh, he's really woven this all together. But they just go, no, it's funny. Ah, it's a good, uh, it's a good people, album cover because the, the microphone's a penis. Do you, do you look back, <laughs> do you look back on, on your youth and, and do you appreciate it or are you just glad you're fucking gone? I mean, not, like, now that you become who you are. Yeah. I mean, um, are you? Do you look back and go, "Well, I guess that's just the way it was. Uh, I was going to be." Or do you look back I, and go, "I would have preferred to have been anywhere else, but there." Well, I mean, there's there's a, a recognition of like helplessness with it, and understanding that, you know, in in a in a society where we talk about free will <laughs> so often right. and rights, and you go, "Really? What were my rights and free will as a six year old?" I had to grow up there. Like, I didn't have any choices. I dealt with it the best I could, and I have a lot of shame and regret associated with the struggles that I went through and, you know, not having any tools to process any of it and uh, just getting through the best I could. But, you know, I I can't help but feel like, fuck, if I would have been Washington, D.C., like Dave Chappelle was, maybe I could have been that 14-year-old kid at the comedy club. Maybe I could have been exploring things that I was interested in as opposed to waiting. Um, so there's that. But again, you kind of go, well, you don't have any control over that, so you have to fucking move on. But also, uh, one, you're right. You don't have any control over it. But two, I kind of feel no matter what, like everything, everybody's experiences have led them to where they are right now. And, yeah. and like... Let's say you were in D.C., and let's say your mom takes you to a club, and maybe you have 92 fucking shit sets in a row, and you're like, comedy can eat my dick. <laughs> and you're done, and that's it. Yeah. And then the world is deprived of, of uh, three of... tremendous Ryan Stout albums yeah. and, and possibly seeing you live one day. Sure. You know what I mean? It's like, we don't know any, like, or it's like you can move to D.C. and like, oh, I met somebody, uh, you know what, I'm going to move out to the Burbs, get a house. And yeah, you, yeah. you just don't. Like every, You're right. every it mistake and every thing and every fucking bad decision I've made has led me to... Where I am. Right. Which is part of the reason why I'm so proud of not only the work that I create, but the pos- possibility of creating more work. Because when I look at that, I'm very reflective of the idea of like, oh, all of this stuff came out of all of that stuff. Yeah. All of that youth yes. and pain and struggle created this. You can't if I were an jokes. accountant, oh my God, I would be fucking miserable. I would be wondering why I don't kill myself. You constantly. don't, you would have no you, outlet. There's yeah. no outlet. I really did the numbers on that home building project. <laughs> and guess what? They came out yeah. even. Everything's perfect. And by the way, I'm terrified because my little brother was born in El Paso. And now he he lives in Austin now, but oh, he's, Austin's great. He's an accountant for a home building association. Oh, as long as he's happy, and I don't know if he's happy. I know he drinks a lot. I know, I know that, but he, oh yeah, well, go ahead. Sorry. This is the only honorable thing I'll ever say about the uh, the choices that we've made. Uh huh. 
and it's going to sound arrogant, but the world needs people like us to go out and not be the accountants and not, you know what I mean? Not be the home builders and just, yeah. and, and, and do our darndest to entertain. For sure. They, they need us. And because they can't do it. They, even if they wanted to, they just can't. And they're going to live another life. And, right. And that sounds like, oh, thanks guys. But it's, it's true. It's true because we are risk takers. One way or another, we're risk takers. There's no, my wife and I used to have this conversation a lot, a long time ago. The, 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 I go, the upside to what you do for a living, she's a lawyer. And I said, the upside to what you do, even if she wasn't a lawyer, I said, you go to a place, you show up every day, you're guaranteed a paycheck as long as you do your job. If you do your job really well, you get a review, you get a rate. Like there's, yeah. there's like benchmarks. There's structure. In our, yeah. in our business, there's no structure. We manufacture benchmarks. We, yeah. You know what I mean? And you may yeah. never get those benchmarks. You could even meet all your goals and, and still, still never get like your shit. raise. Yeah. And still, and still, like, still be broke like, and yes. still fucking yeah. have all kinds so of problems. But th- that's, uh, to me, that's, the, that's the, the struggle and the journey that we do. And if we do it, if we eventually do get there, we have entertained the people yeah. that we're never going to do that as yeah. badly as they wanted to. Everything I just described scares the shit out of them right? and k- makes them go and do something else. I mean, yeah. after every, how many times after a show does someone walk up to you and go, man, I could never do what you do? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, said, it's, no, I always get people like, dude, that, I don't know how you get up there. And even if it's like it went well, it went poorly, whatever, they're just like in awe that you're able to stand up there, sure. talk to, and it's the talking to strangers in a large room who don't yeah. know you, who are like, but I've, that's always, I've always been kind of like, boo, look at me, look at me, look at me. So yeah. boo. it's never been like an issue yeah. for me, but, but people like talking in front of large groups scares the shit out of people. And I, I do think just bouncing off that point of like, uh, um, you know, we manufactured these benchmarks and my benchmarks were certainly, you know, releasing albums, which is a crazy benchmark. Like, there's no reason that that means anything to anybody other than me, but it's me as a kid flipping through my CD case at my collection of albums going, I hope I can have a page. I want four albums to fill out a page. Yeah. And knowing full well that, oh, Steve Martin only has four of these albums. He only has four. And some of them are only 33 minutes. I've created more comedy on record than Steve Martin has at this point in my career. Yeah. But the disappointing thing is I look at my work and then I'm, you know, I'm heartbroken by it because you, you, you want it to be perfect and nothing ever comes out perfect. Nothing, nothing. So you have to learn to accept that like, oh, I have to live with those imperfections and understand that was a record of what I was doing at that time. But, uh, you know, I look at my records and I go, all right, you did these. You're very proud of these. And then you look at like your Spotify numbers and you go, how come nobody else liked these as much as I do? Dude, it's, it's, it's. <laughs> but, you know, I was walking out of the house today going, yep, Van Gogh has no idea that we actually like what he did. He's dead. Yeah. Just gone. Before any appreciation yeah. for his work. Yeah. It's crazy. I wanted to ask you real quick about your, you said you have no sense of smell. That's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. What is that? How did it's you- called anosmia. And uh, does it affect taste like as well or not? It no? does affect taste. Taste is about 80% smell. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what happened. Um, I never really had a sense of smell. I, it's hard to uh, comprehend because people will ask you when you're growing up, hey, do you smell that? And then you say no. And that's not a problem. And then they're like, but it's <laughs> not. Gas. That's and you're not like, an well, issue. I don't smell it. I can't <laughs> smell it. And they and they think of themselves as well. I must have a really great sense of smell. <laughs> you know, they turn it on themselves. I'm, I'm amazing. This guy. Yeah, <laughs> this, you don't smell that. I smell that. And so uh, it it just doesn't. You don't realize there's a problem. 
But I mean, um, shit, like you could be in a burning building and you wouldn't smell the smoke until. So there is the kind of a texture to smoke. Oh, there's kind you of would a, taste it in your I can mouth. taste it and I can okay. feel it in my lungs and I go, something's wrong. Okay. Um, you know, there's a, there's a tactile feel when you're standing inside of a warm porta potty. You know something's not right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are other senses in your pants. <laughs> yeah. That was me. So, turns yeah. out. Yeah. But uh, I, think, I think there was a, a time in. Uh, uh, I probably as a kid, I shit my pants and had no, had like, no no idea it was there until stink. I took the pants off and realized like, oh, that's what that feeling was. Um, wow. Bookmark, yeah, wow. for the future. Let's not shit our pants. That's right. Bookmark yeah. it. <laughs> Kids don't like that. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, neither here nor there. I I didn't talk about the sense of smell for a long time because I thought it was gimmicky. And because it was just kind of uh, well, it's whatever. so unique, though. I think. That, I mean, well, now now I've got a good probably fifteen to twenty minutes on it. Yeah. And uh, I was talking to my writing partner, who not for stand up, but for like television and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, I said, I think I'm going to do that smell stuff. And he said, Yeah, that's probably a good idea because nobody's ever going to look at you now and be like, Oh, he's that smell guy. <laughs> You've got a whole body of work yes, where you've proven yeah. that you can talk about other things. Yeah, you, you don't have three <laughs> albums that are all about how you don't have a sense of right, smell. Right, right. Smell this. Don't smell that and smell it. By <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, uh, um, why did you choose to leave San Francisco? Did you just feel like you just kind of... I got, I got asked to leave. Are you... Well, I got invited to L.A. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, all right. So want... Those are two different... Those yeah, are two yeah. different... Get out <laughs> and hey, out. come on down. <laughs> Guys, is there like a comedy mayor that's I like... I got too edgy for San Francisco. Right. Um, no, I won the me. Boston Comedy Festival. I was 22 years old, and I flew to Boston and competed in this thing and won. And then uh, two weeks later, um, HBO was doing auditions at the Punchline, and they called, and they were like, and Ryan Stout's going to be on the showcase, right? And they went, yeah, he'll be on there. And then uh, probably I, I did that, and they, of course, taped it, and then the tape went to L.A. and kind of circulated around, and people talk and whatnot, and then my phone started ringing, and managers started calling me saying, really? hey, who are you? Because <laughs> we've heard a lot about you. And we don't know you. And we heard that you won Boston, and then people at HBO were talking about you, and uh, I did something different from all of the other comics that won the Boston Comedy Festival up to that point, which was... When people called me, I said, oh, you want me to send you some materials? They'll be in the mail tomorrow. And I sent people materials versus I've talked to other people who were in that contest years prior. And they were like, yeah, people called me. And I was like, I'll get you a tape. And then I never sent a tape. And I was like, why didn't you send send them what they asked for? Just send them. Like, I won Boston, went back to San Francisco, and just started, well, here's a 20-minute DVD, and here's a headshot, and here's a resume, and here's newspaper clippings, and here's everything. You had a press This kit. is ready to go as you soon as they asked for it. So my manager, to this day, same manager, um, he called, nice. and he said, hey, heard a lot about you. I'm just kind of curious if I could learn more. And I said, yeah, if you want this in the mail, um, post office is going to close in 15 minutes, so you have to let me off the phone. And he just went, well, go, 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 go. And then noon the next day, he called me and he said, I got the press kit. I loved everything. It was amazing. Let's talk about what you want to do and what I want to do and see if we line up. And he was very kind about that. And uh, yeah, so that's fucking awesome. Within within September, October, November, December, I moved down here in February. So a few months after, quick. after winning that contest. What part of town did you move to? West Hollywood. West Hollywood. Are you yeah. still there? Yep, yeah, still there. I, the I bounced place. around West Hollywood yeah. in a few different places, but that, uh, I mean that—that's that's that saying. Like it's all 
it's all kind of luck, but when like luck sort of knocks at your door, you got to be prepared to yeah. go beyond that. Like, yeah. And there's like, yeah, I'm just a comic, man. Wait, send me shit. And back then, sending things was like, you had to drop shit in the mail. You're not like, here's <laughs> a link. Here's a, now it's yeah. so easy. Now, if, right. now if you're not so sending easy. links and, f- and video and pictures, then you're a fucking complete moron. That's yeah. comedy grandpa talk. Back ah! in my day, goddammit. Yeah. You it is post it's amazing to talk to comics who, they're, they're on the road, and they would have to pull off to use a payphone pay to call in their avails to various places, and you're like, I don't know how to be on the road and find a payphone, dude. <laughs> Imagine being a production assistant they in still Hollywood exist. before I, the cell phone. It was like, here's a bag of quarters, here's a pager. We're gonna page you whenever we need anything. You got to pull over, you got to call us, you got to find out what that thing is, Jesus. then go get it and bring it back. It's like yeah. your whole day would be just on a phone somewhere. Like, right, right. In some gigantic metal vehicle oh, <laughs> that's dude. clunking along. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so anyway, I moved here, and then uh, everybody told me, they're like, hey, that management company's kind of big. If you don't book like a pilot within your first six months, they're going to drop you. That's what everybody warned me. And wow. I was like, really? Because I talked to them, and they seemed like swell people, and they seemed, like, <laughs> they seemed really nice. And, Look, they can't be liars, and they right? said They said like the 10-year plan kind of situation is what the, the goal was. And uh, they, they even told me, like, if I'm thinking that I'm going to be in the next Hollywood blockbuster film this summer, like, That's they're the wrong work. management company. Um, so I went with them to be in them for the long term, and people went, okay, you see what happens. And then I booked a pilot within the first six months, so it didn't even <laughs> You'd have come to worry with, about it anyway. Yeah. What was yeah, the yeah. pilot? Can I ask? It, was, it was a game show for MTV. Now, did you, most of your auditions, because you have a, a look, like, I can see how people would be like, especially when they see you in that suit and tie, it's like... Dude, he's quick. He's witty. He's dressed to. Not, he's not going to offend host. Middle America. Right. Yeah. He could host the fuck out of a game show, yeah. out of a talk show, out of like. Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of what I would. And even I never, see. I never recognized this, but uh, I, I thought I would be able to use some of my acting experience, you know, from you know, the College of Santa Fe was a, a, an acting school that I attended for a year. I learned a lot of. I got broken down and taught like, oh, you don't know fuck all about acting. Yeah. And I learned that I learned I didn't know anything, and then they built me back up with some craft, and I went, oh, okay. I, I think I can pull this off. Yeah. Um, but I moved here, and I didn't get any real acting auditions. It was always for leading man, and I was like, I'm 22. And you, yeah. I'm not going to be the leading man. There's Who the- are you casting? Neil Patrick Harris. Good move. You should <laughs> cast him. That's smart. That's who I would cast yeah. if I was making this project. Um, not not a kid who nobody knows who has no real television acting experience. Yeah, go with the pro. Good one, yeah. CBS. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I learned, like, oh, I'm a foot taller than all of these Hollywood starlets that you're casting. Oh, yeah. We're never going to line up on camera. Yeah. Okay. Goodbye. So not only that, but I look. I have a physical facial features like I'm going to be the leading man. And I have no stardom. So I'm like, I'm not going to fit into this acting world anywhere. And I haven't. Over the 13 years I've been here, I've had virtually zero auditions to act. And there was one audition I was so thrilled about. It was to, to play the brother of the lead. And I was like, I never get not lead. I, I never get to go in as like somebody. I could be the taller brother, for God's sake. Nobody would give a shit. That happened on Ray Romano. Yeah. It could happen for me. Yeah. And I go in, I say hi, and they're like, oh, so you're reading for the lead? And I said, no, 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 brother. And they go, no. Go out and get the sides for the lead. Uh. And I said, 
I really pre- rather I do this. I prepared this, thing. and I'd really like to read it. And they're like, "It's not going to happen, honey. You're too good looking. You're not. You're not the character guy. Not goofy You're not enough. You're going to have to go out there." So, I haven't even gotten to audition for anything that wasn't the lead leading role, and then lost the leading role to everybody who's a bigger star than I am, which is correct. Yeah, you know, all the Joel McHale's of the world. David Spade's got offered various things that I got called back on, and you know, it's like go with the name. And that, but that's also such a such a thing. Like people, are like we don't know what to do with you. What do we do with you? They always like, what yeah. do we do with you. Like, what? so did you do you get to the point where you say this is what I, this is where I want to be? So fortunately, when I moved to town, the first the game show thing set off a string of dominoes. Where yeah, I was doing a lot of hosting, and everybody went, yeah, great host, get that guy. Great yeah, host, get dude. that guy. Until we hit this kind of area where people just to my face went, hey, listen. We brought you in for this because we think you're really great and we think you're going to wow the studio executives. Like, I'm testing. I have a contract. I've signed a contract. And they're like, they do not want a white guy. So just know that going in. <laughs> Go in, do your best, but they don't want a white And then I've done pilots where it goes really well. They order the pilot. But then I hear that nothing's happening. Like, they love it. It's like a blinking green light, but it's just silence for some reason. And I call my producer friend. I'm like, what's going on with that? And they say, so listen, the network said that we need to find a woman. So they're, lo- they're doing a casting for possible potential female hosts. Well, then I call my manager. I'm like, hey, can they do that? <laughs> because if we have a contract and they're doing a talent search, business says at least they should let me out of the contract. And then if they can't find the talent that they're searching for, they crawl back on their knees with a bag of money dangling from their mouth. And he went, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> and so we would, we would call and say, hey, this, is, this isn't personal, but if you want different talent, you have to let him out of the contract. And so sure enough, they would let me out of the contract. They wouldn't find the talent they're looking for, and then they would cast some dude who's never done a game show before <laughs> to like fill in and they're going to pay him way less money. Yeah. And so I was like, this is a weird navigation system that yeah. we're dealing with right now. And so it is, it has been exceptionally strange, especially when you consider where I grew up to have people pulling me aside and whispering, Hey, they really don't want a white guy. And I'm dealing with that. I dealt with that last week that this casting person is like, Hey, we put you up for this thing. We think you're perfect for it. You're the only male on the list. And they've told us specifically, they don't want guys. we're not going to look at men. But we put you in there in the hopes that maybe they'll make one exception just to see you, just to let you audition. And I didn't get to audition. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I can't change that. No. Nope. So I don't know what to do. And this isn't even a situation about the history of racism or the history of sexism. It's just like, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do to make money well, as an individual. Uh, I woke up and, today and, like and, that. And maybe I'm too idealistic, but I actually, I understand what's happening and and I get the fact that they, 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 they want it to reflect, I think, more of... I, I understand the diversity having it reflect. So when people turn on the television, they see people that reflect them as well. I totally understand that. I think sometimes what ends up happening is there's a knee-jerk reaction to swing. And I, John's going to get mad for a second, but I used to work in radio in the 90s. You? And 
But one of the things, and this is this is going to be a horrible, it's going to be a horrible comparison. But there are some truths to this as to what's going on. Play the opening music because I know you don't like the music. (laughs) (laughs) You want to play it? You want to play it? No, no, no. John loves the song. But there's some comparisons in the fact that I worked in alternative radio, and at that time, it was hot. So everybody gravitated towards it. Every band on the street, you could if you if you went on a guitar and you had never played. You got a deal because you sounded like so-and-so who sounded like so-and-so who sounded like so-and-so. It was a knee-jerk reaction. And then eventually, shit started finally started settling down. Yeah. So I kind of feel like that's what Hollywood's kind of going through this thing right now where it's like, it's the classic pendulum has to swing completely to the other side. Yeah. Overreact. Yeah. You know, and then it eventually kind of starts swinging back the other way and it will kind of settle down. And sure. it will, it'll be more of an even playing field versus just just like it has to be it has to be and it was the other way too it's like so i i get it both i understand it both ways i just going back to what you're saying it's like i think you just do what you do and then eventually it just finds its way back to you that's what i believe that may sound very idealistic i i I believe that as well that if you play the game and you wait around long enough it'll work but there's just one problem in hollywood which is by the time the pendulum swings back to me they could look at me and go, nah, too, too old. old. Yeah. Too old. Too old. That's the one thing go, that Hollywood's ah, never really been good at dealing with ah, is the age thing. Age, well, yeah. race, they've been bad at a lot. I mean, Hollywood is, is learning along with most people. Do you Fortunately, know I mean? in the world of hosting especially, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, they're in their 40s and they're hosting. They're in their 50s and they're hosting. And it's game shows, talk shows, all sorts of stuff. So... That's that's one of the areas that you're really not going to age out of as quickly. No, but is that where you saw yourself though? On, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say because game shows can be diff- directed at different markets of people. Yeah, and there's all kinds. And now with the way TV is, with all the different mediums, you can put a game show on. They have a whole network for just game shows. They have other Pluto TV has a game show. It's like right. there are just so Snapchat, many Snapchat game shows. Exactly. Yeah. So that that's kind of a never. And people like them and enjoy them and find them either challenging or hilarious or right. they like to mock them. Whatever it is, right. but like they always get uh, a pretty good following. They do, they do, and talk shows and green screen stuff pops up all the time. And there's reality. I was I was up for that uh, that Love Island job hosting hosting the new yeah American version of Love Island, which I hear is not doing very well in the ratings. I, I mean, and they uh, you I don't know. think that would change with you as the host, to be honest, but. But you'd, maybe you'd be surprised. I guess John. I would I've, be. I've done some numbers, but I also um, think like, is this where you saw yourself though? Well, I mean, like your we, end game of, right. of the kid that I, was in El Paso I listening to comedy I albums. Be, I always thought I would be a stand-up comic playing theaters. Okay, but um, when I moved to LA and I booked that game show pilot, and I had to read the teleprompter, I had to listen to somebody talk in my ear. I had to deal with contestants, and then I added this other ball to juggle, which is I started responding to how the crowd was responding. Like they would like moan at a joke or laugh at a joke, and I'd just give them mouth back. Like the crowd was another like another character. Yeah. And so I'm juggling a lot of things, and I'm having a good time doing it. And uh, I'm told by my manager, by the producers, by executives, like, yeah, Ryan, there are people who can't even read the teleprompter. Yeah. There are people who can't read the teleprompter and listen. They certainly can't read the teleprompter, listen, run a game, and talk to contestants and deal with the crowd. They can't do all the things. So the very fact that you can do all the things is astounding to us. And I felt like, oh, maybe I've stumbled into something. Okay. And you know what? Just being that appreciated for having this skill felt really good. And I was like, oh, I'd I'd love to do that. 
And you know what? I've done so many game show pilots now, and I've never, never gotten a game show on the air. That's crazy. I, I mean, the we, game show itself also never got on the air. Um, well, I had that one experience where they fired me and went on a talent search, and that game show got on the air. Okay. Um, but I don't want to tell you what the show is because yeah. I don't want to talk shit about the terrible fucking host. Well, no, no, um, I, I, and I don't want to talk shit about anything. But like, like <laughs> we, me and me and Ryan did. We were on a game show together uh, like a year or two ago, and. The whole time, and this is nothing against the host they had. He was fine, but the show did come back with a female host. But the whole time, like Ryan's a contestant with me, and I'm like, dude, we should be we should be talking to Ryan. Like he should be talking to us and mocking us. And like it was a game show with essentially comedians talking to a host, and like it would have just like a guy who has the wit and the quickness and is already a comedian. I think is the way to go over a guy who's like a lifelong host. So I think with that the the network got a little idealistic mm-hmm. and they decided, you know, we're going to have two teams of comedians, three comedians on each team. They're going to ring in with their funny answers. And the, the executive producer actually said this at one point. They said, we cast this host because he's a guy who never tried to be funnier than the comics. And he said that one day and I was like, oh, this is what you, you wanted a ringleader for the chaos that you thought would ensue, but you also don't want any chaos. You want us to robotically ring in with our punchlines and so I was one of the personalities on the show where I'm like, if this is a comedy game show, that means the audience doesn't give a fuck who wins. No. There are no was prizes. Ar- all the points were arbitrary anyway. All Everything's arbitrary. Ridiculous. The yeah. time is arbitrary. So I'm going to buck the system entirely. And I'm going to make sure that I have punchlines that fit the thing, but also make fun of the other team. Punchlines that make fun of the host. I'm going to talk when the host is talking. I'm going to leave the podium and walk out. In the, like I'm going to create chaos here. And the network was like, we like what that Ryan Stout kid's doing. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you were back. I, I only did that thing one day, and I'm sure you were on there four or five times. But another thing that happened was by, I created, because I made myself the troublemaker, I'm the, I've basically vilified myself, I turned the host into necessarily the hero. And he was, he was kind enough to recognize that. That's good. Like, every time I would bring up that, like, he would, the question would be like, who's the luckiest person on the planet? And I'd bring in and I'd be like, somebody's lucky that I never auditioned to host this show. And the audience would laugh and he would take a shot. And, but it was, it was clearly coming up from a place where I don't have any power. And he has the power because right. he has the job. Yeah. So it makes, it makes his character look better, too. And when he recognized that, he loved it. Yeah. Whereas there were other comics who were like, God, it's really tense between you guys. And I was like, no, it's not. You're out of your fucking minds. Yeah, we're mean, just creating a story for the audience. That's yeah, all we're doing. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's. I I really hope that I can host something. Maybe maybe something a little smarter. Maybe yeah. something that's not the. Welcome back to puke. Yeah, this is the game show where we try where to we see. smell barf and then throw <laughs> up in this chair. Uh-huh. Will you or will you not? Welcome back to stunt toddlers. I'm Ryan Stout. <laughs> Let's go to the trapeze of death. Uh, where a four year old kids fall the darndest ways. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, in in the future, I I hope to just create keep creating stand up, which is you know harder and harder. Because as, as you get further along in the business, the clubs kind of go, well, you haven't been on TV lately, and you don't have a following, Ugh. and you're too funny to feature, so, so no. we don't have to, we can't really book you, and more and more clubs are doing that right now, so if you don't stumble upon popularity in some fashion, 
you're kind of done. Which is a shame because back, like, I feel like back in the day, and some clubs still do this, and maybe that's why they're not more well-known or more successful, but like, if a club owner, which is rare, really likes comedy, then they want to book comedians. They who, just book the they, best they just comedian. book who are yeah. funny, and they, they see tape on it, like, oh yeah, this, is per- this person's great, regardless of Twitter followers or Instagram likes or whatever. And, and, and that is, to me, it's comedy. The fact that just because... Bill Burr is on stage and he makes a million dollars a year and he's like the funniest dude everyone sees. That doesn't mean that you can't go to a different stage and see another guy who's going to make you laugh just as fucking hard. Just as hard. Well, here's here's what's annoying me right now is the emotional weight put on certain numbers while other numbers are ignored. Like when I released the newest album, Man in the Suit, um, <laughs> available on year, iTunes, available everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. If you've got a thing that plays sounds, it's on there. It's on. Um, and look up the other two albums. Just look up Ryan Stout. Find me. Give me some. What clicks. are the other two albums called, though? Just Touche and How to Be an Audience. Which is fucking. How right. to Be an Audience has a big, disgusting pig on the cover. So that should tell you how I feel. But that I um, love the title. Too. <laughs> I think is great. Um, but uh, you know there are. Comedians who also released new albums earlier this year around the same time I did. And these are comedians who have big name agents. I don't have an agent. These are, com- these are comedians who are celebrated for their popularity. They have bigger numbers than I do on social media. But when you go on Spotify and you look at the clicks that their comedy album got versus the clicks mine got, I got literally 10 times the number of clicks they did. But the comedy club wants to say, no, we want to book them because they're popular. And you go, but they're not. Because if they were popular, people would have listened to their comedy album. So how can you possibly say they sell tickets if nobody wants their comedy? Now, people might want their tweets. People might want their Instagram. People might want to watch their YouTube videos. But clearly, Obviously, people do not want to go see that person's comedy because they released it and nobody gave a fuck. Yeah. People want to see my comedy and they don't give a fuck about my tweets. They don't give a shit about my Instagram. They don't give a shit about a lot of things. Well, but they certainly want my comedy. So why don't you book me? And they go, but we don't know if you'll sell tickets. Yes, you fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insane. I, I, I feel it when you get out of uh, like Los Angeles, no one gives a shit what your credits are. Uh, they might have come because like they saw you on a TV show, maybe. But like for the most part, they paid money to go to a comedy club because they want to laugh and kind of forget about their bullshit. Yeah. So that's what we should be focused on. Now right. that is, I'm saying oh, that because John. I don't oh, have a lot of Twitter followers. I don't have a social media presence. I don't have you know. Yeah. And and I do. I'm on every day. I try to do something funny every day. But that doesn't mean anybody gives a shit. You know what I mean? No. Well, and that was the hardest part. I think there have been a lot of hardest parts, but uh, in in part of the journey, in the beginning of stand-up comedy, literally everybody walks into a comedy club and says, "Hi, I'm funny. I'd like to get on stage." And literally everybody is told, "No, we don't fucking know you. We're not putting our business in your hands. Go sit at the back with the other comics. Once we learn something about you, maybe you'll get on stage." So that's the first step. They go, we don't know if you're funny. We don't know if you're funny. We're not going to put you on TV. I don't know if you're funny. I'm not going to represent you. I don't know if you're funny. So finally, you prove to all these people that you are hilarious. And they go, yeah, but who cares? (laughs) And you go, that was not the the question. I told you the benchmarks. Yeah. It's just changing every time. Um, Which is, 
which makes sense to a degree because we've already talked about they really don't care about the craft of it. They care about numbers. You know, certainly agents. Yeah. When I talked to my, my therapist at one point and told him, like, I just don't understand, like, if these agents would send me out for things, I would audition and then they would make money, but they don't want to work on sending me out for things or they don't want to call the clubs and say, hey, Ryan's really funny. Why don't you book him? Instead, they would just wait for the phone to ring and that's the only way I'm getting bookings. And the therapist shook his head and he said, Ryan, I've been a therapist for 25 years in this town. Every agent who's ever sat on that couch is the laziest person I've ever met. He said, it's just a culture of lazy. They all wait for the phone to ring, and they're surrounded by people who tell them that's the correct thing to do. And so they just want to collect money to do nothing. And I went, oh, they're never going to help. And he said, they're never going to help. And I went, oh, well, then I can stop expecting that. And he said, yes. I said, so I should fire them. And he went, well, that's not... <laughs> I can't tell you what to do <laughs> yeah, with your... Listen, yeah. you know, they, they can still be helpful because they still pick up the phone, but you don't necessarily... You can do more on your own yeah, and not to work think on that your they're going to do it. Because they're not. Always, always. I was talking to a comic out. last night who thinks that's going to bump him up to the next level. He was like, if I can just get an agent. And I said, they're not going to do anything. He said, what? I said, they're going to put your name on a list. They're going to fax that list to clubs. And that could be helpful. You might get picked off the list, but they're not... You might not get picked, like you're, and they're not going to fight for you to get you picked. Right, right. They're not they going to pitch you. Want to? They're not going to pitch their product. No. Um, so, <laughs> the the whole idea that I began with, which was step one, people say I don't know you're funny, and then step two is yeah, but who cares? And if you can just announce who cares, if you say I'm a YouTube star and I've got a million subscribers, they don't ask you question one. <laughs> yeah. They don't give a fuck if you're funny. No. They just go, you mean this place will be full? Uh, well, let's, yeah, make, you're let's do a contract. Yeah. Speaking of full places, um, places in general, uh, favorite place for you to stand up when you were in San Francisco? In San Francisco, um, you know, I have, I have such a soft spot for the punchline, okay. even though, you know, the bar is at the back of the room and it can be noisy and the audiences are a little... Different there than everywhere else. Um, I love the, the Comedy Works in Denver has a legendary dude. That place is fucking awesome. Sound system, but you know what's strange? Those audiences are also chatty. Like you can hear it on Attell's Skanks for the Memories. Oh really? Like you, we're so excited for this album to come out. Skanks for the Dave Attell is going to release an album through Comedy Central Records, this burgeoning new label, and then you listen to it and you go. You guys, you guys are like heckling and talking through and yapping during a tell. Are you guys fucking out of your minds? Well, the Denver was one of the first clubs, and I don't know. Punchline, I think, might do this too as well in San Francisco. But they dropped the phones in those bags. Oh uh, yeah, and I found that to be amazing. Like yeah. in Denver, there was no distractions of the phone. It yeah. was literally straight on. Like that's why I laugh. If you record an album in Denver. Or uh, at, uh, at Comedy Works or at Comedy on State in Madison. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're going to have insane laughter. Right. It's not fair. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, I recorded all three of mine at Acme in Minneapolis. Oh, that's cool. And uh, you, you have know, a relationship with them? Is that why? Or you just love the club? I just, I like the club and because Stand Up Records is based out of Minneapolis. Right. And uh, even though I have not released an album on Stand Up Records, I did. Uh, work with Dan Schlissel. I got him paid for his expertise and make sure that 
sound was set up correctly and you know you I, I'm a big believer that if, if somebody knows what they're doing you give them money yep. if you want a good product That's how it works I certainly don't know how to set up sound and uh, I can't monitor the sound if I'm on stage yeah so uh, and by the way I don't know if he does have deep-seated hard feelings that I've not released my last two records through him I self produced the last two records um, because this via streaming and the new way that sounds are exchanged throughout the universe. Yep. I don't want to share 50% with somebody needlessly. Nope. And, uh, but he was certainly a Sherpa and a guide and kind of showed me a lot of the ropes. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm indebted to him, but I also never went with his record label. So he has every right to be like, well, fuck that guy. Yeah, I don't know if that's Dan's move, though. I don't think he's, I don't think I don't it is think either. I think he's a lovely man, and yeah, I think he's created something great, and I can say nothing but good things about and him. He understands the business, but if he's pissed at me, I could understand why. <laughs> Maybe, but you said your family still lives in El Paso. Yeah, um, it's a good place to be if you're old. Are yeah, you doing, are you doing Ter- your lightning round? What's that? Are you doing your lightning? Yes. Round? Okay. okay, lightning um, round. When you go back, uh, favorite thing to do when you go visit family? I eat at a place called Mama's. Okay. Yeah, they they. And what is Mama's? Mama's like, what, is, what a is a taqueria that closes at like 3 p.m. Like okay. they do lunch, and that's pretty much all they do. They they do breakfast, too. That you can do like a brunch, but uh, they have these things called soupy tacos that are basically flautas, but they're in kind of this this liquid. It's, it's a very El Paso-centric thing. Yeah. And you get beef and red sauce, and you get chicken and green sauce, and it's almost like a hard enchilada, but it's, it, there's nothing like it. Mm-hmm. Favorite state to do uh, stand-up in? Favorite state. Um, sober. I like sober. <laughs> um, well, for true. one second, I was like, Jesus Christ, divine. I don't know enough about the Amer- United States of America. Where Where's is it? Sober. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> sober. All of a sudden, I was like, geez, I, I, I got to pay attention more. I really uh, go. You know, strangely uh, enough, uh, uh, I like the Midwest a lot. Okay. And as a guy who started in San Francisco, I genuinely always thought the Midwest would be hard. I always thought they're religion would prevent them from enjoying dark stand-up comedy. I always thought maybe their politics would tell me that I couldn't talk about certain things. And what I found was San Francisco was more uptight than anybody. Absolutely. So going to the Midwest was so freeing, and those audiences let me breathe. And they just went, wait, is that joke about me? No? What do I care? Even if it is, ha ha! Like, yeah, you, you don't know me. You're are, not making fun of me. But even if you are making, like, if you can't, if you're not laughing, like, my brother is a is a, such a great audience member because if you were to fucking see him in the audience and pick on him for whatever reason, whatever it was, he would be in tears laughing because you're mocking him. Yeah, not not angry in any way. Like he's been yeah. made fun of at multiple comedy shows that sure. I've been on, and he has fucking loved every second of it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If you can, la- in Midwest, that's kind of there's a very much. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm a big fucking dumbass. All right, there's a they can laugh at themselves a little more. Like yeah. making yourself the butt of a joke isn't the end of the world if it entertains some people. It's right. like my right. that's my dad. All his stories, a lot of them, he was the butt of the joke. It wasn't yeah. like he was like, and then I showed those fucking idiots. It was like, and yeah, you know, some people they're morons. Yeah, like, yeah. So I, I've really found um, St. Louis is interesting. A really drunken town. It's not always got the smartest audiences, but you know what? It's rare that I don't have a good show in St. Louis. Wow. I get up there as as an educated dude who's condescending to the crowd, and the audience of hardworking people, literally with buckets of Bud Light in front of them, go, ah, the clown is kind of talking down to us. 
and they have a good natured experience with it. But see, they they get it, and that, that's it, that's yeah. the thing is it's the people that don't get that right is it, they've already put themselves at a disadvantage, right. unfortunately. Right, uh, Philly, but, Philly as well. Philly, yeah. Philadelphia, they have such an egotistical attitude as a city that if you talk down to them, they go. This is fucking insane right now. Why? (laughs) why We're living in Philadelphia. You're not going to tell me. Why would the clown talk down to me? Okay. All right. That must be the joke. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Winnipeg in Canada. Ooh. Low self-esteem town. Yeah. Hated my guts. Uh, I talked down to them and they go, we're already sad. Why would you be mean to us? Wow. And I'm like, it's a show. I'm only mean to you for like 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I'm only talking to you. Then and I'm smiling, trying to sell records. <laughs> and, and you're drinking booze. Like, you should be feeling good. Oh, but it's a depressant, and yeah. you're already depressed. Uh, and now I'm talking down to you, and you're sad, people. Mm-hmm. Okay. I do have a question for you, because it's kind of, I can't really avoid it because of where you're from. When that, when the, and it, it's sad that you're the second person that we've had on this show that comes from a city. Uh, all too frequently, that just had a mass uh, shooting in it. Yeah. When you heard, did you hear about that after the fact? Did what, did you think, oh my god, do I know anybody? Like what what did you? How did you process that? So I got text messages pretty quickly um, from people asking, you know, are your friends okay? Is your family okay? And I reached out to people because that shooting happened maybe f- five miles away from my front door, and so that was the mall that I grew up going to, and. Uh, I knew full well that my parents could have been at that Walmart, and uh, you know, even though, even though both of my parents have concealed carry licenses, it's kind of ridiculous because I know they're not really taking their gun to the Walmart. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I reached out to just see if everybody was okay, and uh, everybody was. Uh, what's been more strange, something that I didn't expect, was just watching how the news has kind of talked about it. Okay. And watching, um, well, when the detail came out that it was not someone from El Paso who did the shooting, I went, that makes more sense. Okay. That makes more sense that a crazy person drove into town, because that's just not the culture of El Paso. Yeah. Like, there's nothing in that environment that would cause mass violence. It's one of the drunkest cities in the nation. And by that, I mean people willingly admit to binge drinking. Like yeah. there was a study done about binge drinking in the U.S. And uh, Dubuque, Iowa, something like 37% of adults admitted to binge drinking. Admit it. Now, El Paso, 52%. Wow. And by the way, that's just people t- who aren't lying. Right, 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 right. (laughs) Or who are very honest with who they are. Or or are rationalizing what binge drinking means. But there's such a culture of like, hey, let's hang out and have a good time in El Paso. And it's hot. You're in the desert. People are going to drink some beers. And uh, they do. And people are are just, they're just there. (laughs) They're just living their lives with their family. They go to church every now and then. It's very low-key living. So the idea that somebody would be tense enough to pick up a rifle and mow down people is ridiculous. The other thing is people don't realize the army base is two miles from there. You've got Border Patrol that's four miles from there. You've got the El Paso PD. You've got sheriff's deputies. You've got Texas Texas Rangers. Rangers. You've got so much gun power in the vicinity. Everybody's like... Yeah, that's not going to last very long. Like, that's just the mindset there. Like, you'd have to be from out of town to even attempt something as stupid as that. And so when it happened, it was a little crazy. And just, 
I, I didn't expect that I would be so confused by like, how does that happen? What is, they did what? And I just kept asking that question again and again. Wait, what? He did where? And uh, it was hard to get grounded knowing the reality of El Paso and then watching the news come through. I'm like, this is not lining up at all. Just so had you have you, ever, have you ever performed at Wiley's? In Dayton? Yeah. No, I haven't. Okay, so Wiley's was right next to where the Dayton shooting happened. They have this art fair, this street dance, and Henry Phillips was the one who pointed it out to me that I had featured for Henry there uh, several years back, and Henry had been there multiple years in a row. Yeah. And we and he's like, he could name all the bars that we had gone to. Yeah, he's an alcoholic. Well, yeah, but he also with a, with a pretty good memory, you know what I mean? Like, right. And I, and I was like, oh, man, I, but because he was there multiple years in a row, I was only there that one time. But he's like, yeah, dude, we used to, the, the route was you go to this bar, then you go, and all those bars were where that guy went, like that area in general. Was, was all shot up. And it yeah. was just like, Henry's like, dude, I just can't. We could have been there for a weekend. It was just like, you just don't sure. fucking know anymore. Sure. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a strange, because that, that happened on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that, that's what my first thought for somebody like you is like, your, your family could have been there. Like, and you know, when, you're, when bullets are just being sprayed. Right. You know, indiscriminately at some point. I mean, yeah. was it as indiscriminate? But you know what I mean? But point is, brrr, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. last on through. I mean, it's like, it, there's just that moment where you're like, oh, shit. So I, I grew up giving my mom a hard time and treating her like a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Um, you're supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and she she was very good at dishing it back. My mom can break some balls. And yeah. All the kids in the neighborhood knew it. And they all thought she was a ton of fun. And it wasn't until I got into therapy where I was like, yeah, there was no way to show love to your children. <laughs> like, that, that was damaging in the long run, actually. Um, because I don't know really where I stand with my mom because she shows me love the same way she shows love to the kid across the street and is by breaking his balls. So um, but when my friend texted me like, hey, did you hear about the shooting in El Paso? Is everybody okay? I, my first text message response was, God, I hope my mom wasn't the shooter. Like that was, that's immediately what I told him. And he wrote back, he said, it feels so fucked up, but that really made me laugh. <laughs> um, but it's your uh, job, it's yeah, your job, yeah, break yeah, the yeah. ice. Uh-huh. And so, uh, and my mom's a homebody anyway. I'm like, she wouldn't, she wouldn't go to Walmart I, I'm glad how Saturday. you're finishing that by, just to be clear, there's a pretty good chance she wasn't going to be that person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, and by the way, I, I said she's not going to be that person because she wouldn't go to a Walmart on a Saturday. Yeah, oh, she that's, knows it's too crowded. Okay. What I said, too crowded. It's too crowded. Too crowded. People. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's a, it's a shame that this stuff happens at the frequency it does, and it's just like they said, it, it gets it gets to the point where it just gets closer and closer. It's to, a matter of time, right? To to us, right? Like it's like, and you're you're literally one. I mean, it's your city. It didn't nothing happen to your family, but like that's how close it's getting closer. This type yeah. of stuff is getting closer it's and getting closer really to people. Close. And and by the way, talking earlier in the podcast about growing up white in a not white community, and then to find out this guy had like racial motivations. I'm I'm almost like, God, I can't. Like, if anybody would have a reason to have just uh, tension about race in that city and and be upset like it would be somebody who grew up there but we didn't yeah and that's that's kind of the thing like there was as as much as i might talk about the incongruity of being white growing up in a place that is not white there wasn't animosity about it it wasn't going to be a deep-seated ugly thing that causes this kind of atrocity yeah like 
certainly maybe some little tensions here and there. And you know what? Tension is always good for comedy. Yes. And differences and incongruities always good for comedy. But it was never it never tipped the scales into um, ugliness. You know, I I wasn't having the shit kicked out of me right. because of my race. I wasn't developing any sort of hatred. just hatred that I would want to take vengeance out. Like certainly a little existed, but that I think that just comes naturally with human beings trying to harmonize when we're not harmonious creatures, really. And uh, so to have like an outsider come in, there's there's this. This, this thing that I want to say to him, like, n- not only fuck you for doing that, but fuck you because your motivations are so fucked up because you didn't live here and you didn't experience what I experienced. Like, if you would have, if you would have grown up white here, your imagination of how bad it would have been wouldn't have lived up to or, or, the reality. Wouldn't, wouldn't have, have met the reality far. he created for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was way off base. Way the fuck off base. Yeah. I mean, because he's taking his, I mean... Fantasy. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing is like, they're, be, they're being projected this fantasy by a president, and then they're like, no, it's real. Yeah. It's real. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're all making up our own goddamn realities. Yeah, that's a good point. People, people think there weren't any women in comedy. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it all back. It's a good callback, uh, everybody. Where, where are you going to be uh, next week? I don't know. They don't, they don't hire me. They don't hire you. <laughs> um, my biggest thing to push is just the albums. Please, okay. push it. That's, you, you heard the story. I grew up loving albums, so I released some. So please give them a listen. I made them for you as yeah. much as I did for me. So yeah. I hope you like them. But not, you didn't actually press vinyl, correct? Uh, the first one is on vinyl oh. um, via stand-up records. So Dan Schlissel and I did did collaborate on that one. He has nice. the the. So if you want to buy a vinyl, you go to standuprecords.com. If you want to just listen the way the futuristic kids do on your phone, everything's going to be on your phone. Yeah, and, your and you and you still uh, probably more so than most comics I know still listen to comedy. Like you hit me up the other day saying that you'd re-listen to my first CD, <laughs> which is like 2011. Yeah, and you were like, yeah, yeah, this stuff still holds up, and I was like. That was like the kind of thing, like my day was like in the toilet and yeah. I was like, well, I fucking suck at comedy. Yeah. And then you're like, dude, actually, you know, I listened to this and it's really good. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Somebody who I respect has listened to this again in 2019 and told me it's not bad. And I was like, you know what? I'll take it. I, I loved it. I did a terrible little show last night that was in like a little kind of, it was a conference roomy type of space. Mm, fun. Very flat. Fun, fun. Just rows of chairs and whatnot. And um, I might not have had the greatest set, but I got some work done. Got some work done on some new bits. Was proud of the effort that I put in. Yeah. But there was this one kid who did not have a good set, and he was pretty upset with himself. And uh, I sat there and watched the set, and I was so intrigued by some of the jokes. I was so kind of, um, I was like, oh, that's a new twist I'd never heard before. And that that joke, that that's interesting. That could have used a little more setup, and you didn't have to jump to the punchline that quickly. And then he had this fascinating story with these elements in it that I'm like, that's... You could do a seven-minute set just on those elements. And so he's sitting in a corner with his head hung afterward. And I go over to him. I'm like, hey, buddy, um, do you want to talk about what you did up there? Because you had some really interesting things. And he was like, yeah, usually it goes better than that. I said, oh, we don't need to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not talk about their reaction. Let's talk about that story you did at the end that you rushed through about buying suits from a van and you end up buying a turtle? 
buddy, let's talk about that. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, that's a real thing that happened. And I'm like, Expand I know it's a real thing. It. that Let's hear the whole yes. story because you should be doing that on Comedy Central on, uh, on uh, what is it? Um, why am I blanking on the show? Because the, like, I don't know what is, is this happening? Oh, this is not happening. This is not happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's your, this is not. First of all, I'm wearing a suit and tie while I talk to you. Do you think I bought this out of a van? <laughs> Let's just start there. Most people don't shop out of vans. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Unless so, you're getting steaks or stereo equipment. Right. So uh, it's so strange thing? we beat ourselves up. And uh, like after talking to this guy a little bit, he started to like kind of, I guess I did create some things. And I'm like, yeah, let's just keep doing that. Let's keep doing <laughs> you know, that. And I'll be make honest. Make your pots, everybody. <clears throat> just the, make your pots. But the but uh, one, yes, I love that story. And two, just we, we could probably... I, we could probably use a little more of that just as comics, just when you see someone having a bad set. If, if everything they said wasn't an atro- atrocity, let them know. You know what I mean? It's, 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 well, it's, it's better than this one. Great set. Oh, did you hear that thing? I didn't really watch. Yeah, I just want to let you know. Just well, wanted Eddie, to throw I mean, that Eddie great Pepitone set. Pepitone always says, hey, you were great. And I go, yeah. He goes, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I, somebody did that to me, and I went, I didn't go on. And they went, oh. <laughs> I said, yes, I did. You didn't and, watch that. Of course. It's a classic. A great set tonight, you guys. Well, man, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. That was Guys, uh, I mean, we only did three hours. Let's do another intro. That we'll way you could break it up into two a pieces. Part six. Yeah. Um, but no, man, we that's rare Not that we have part six. this kind of um, discussion about stand up. So that was kind of refreshing and kind of just what I needed. So. You guys really committed to the format and wanted my whole story yeah. beginning to end. You didn't care that it took four hours. No, we Good night, everybody. People listen to podcasts. Dance around. I'll always get what I want. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, go check out Ryan Stout's albums, CDs, streaming. Uh, if you got the internet, you can figure it out. Oh. R-Y-A-N-S-T-O-U-T. Thank you, guys. Thank uh, you. Enjoy the rest of your Thanks, weekend. dude. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>